Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty Lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific Time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. Hello, I'm Mike. My birthing partner and I just got our new Lysnica Freedom Microchips. These microchips are awesome. They helped me keep the freedom I used to before enrolled into Southern Hampshire Institute in Technology. I am Jamar. I am friends with Mike and his birthing partner. We met at SHIT. I am a liberal media major. I also just got a Lysenica Freedom Microchip. Since SHIT recently mandates everyone on campus get their Freedom Microchip, I jumped on the Lysenica joint. This Freedom Chip grants me the freedom to go everywhere I was allowed to before COVID. Now this chip tells me when I am and am not allowed to go outside. It also tracks my boosters. If I'm not up to date on a chip, it tells me when I need to get it by. This chip is sweet. Without this freedom chip no one is allowed on our campus. I scan my hand whenever I want to pay for something. It also calls for an ambulance when I get another heart attack from a booster. Which is totally not a heart attack from getting a gene therapy. These freedom chips are free. You can go to any drugstore or China Mart. An employee with inserted in your wrist. Remember, it is not the mark of the beast. You just need to let Lysenica track and trace your every move. You just need a freedom chip to buy, sell, work, and live. When you get a microchip, look for the Lysenica Freedom Microchips. They are sweet. Food waste is one of the most easily solvable problems, literally the low-hanging fruit of environmentalism. Pardon the pun, it's my job. About 20% of all produce never makes it off the farm. It's because they just look a little funny, a little weird, but when you cut into it, it's perfectly good food. It's just a total shame. It's totally good stuff. We buy ugly produce directly from farms that often would go to waste because supermarkets won't buy it because of how it looks, and we deliver it to people's doors. standards for an apple. This isn't that ugly at all. Like that's the most common first box like complaint we get. We change that. We educate people. We show them how amazing these fruits and vegetables are. Have food delivered to your house. Box of produce every week. And it's more affordable. At a very reasonable price. Cheaper than the grocery store. I spend a lot less time in grocery stores. It's an adventure every time that you open your box. High quality produce. There's nothing wrong with the and they taste exactly the same, if not better. Save those fruits and vegetables that get wasted every year. And it's delivered to your door like, but what you do, why wouldn't you do, why wouldn't you do? Please go to our website, freedomizerradio.live, and sign up for Imperfect Foods today. Use our promo code and get money off your first order. Go ahead and get some organic and all-natural meats, dairy, snacks, breads, and non-GMO produce. Hello, Freedomizers. I am Broccoli Man. When I am not fighting crime, I listen to the Proof Negative radio show. I am the Wire Ripper. 
Not only do I forbid you to listen to Freedomizer Radio and the Proof Negative Radio Show, I am going to demand you wear a mask and get your naked body scan. We need to protect one world government. You getting the real information hurts a crime syndicate. Do not listen to Proof Negative. You must now disrobe this instant so I can check your person for a constitutional cash money. Anyway, listen to Proof Negative on Freedomizer Radio. Weeknights 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Freedomizerradio.com Now, let's get back to the Proof Negative show here on freedomizerradio.com. Welcome to the Proof Negative Radio Show, right here on freedomizerradio.com. Now sit back and enjoy the show.
again, everyone. Welcome back to another great night here on Freedomizer Radio. Of course, I'm your host, Proof Negative, the big kahuna here on Freedomizer. I want to thank everybody for finding us today. Today is Thursday, and uh, well, we'll have a we'll have a couple of people joining us here in just a moment to fill in for Leslie, uh, who's not here tonight. Uh, if anyone wants to join us, the number here is three one nine. and just press lucky number one on your phone, and I will make it a point to bring you into the conversation. All right, like I said, we have a couple of people here. I think we have Danielle, and I think we have Paul. Yeah, I'm here. This is Paul. All right, so welcome to the Proof Negative show. Of course, I'm your host, Proof Negative. So, Paul, we usually do that when we have our co-host joining us. You don't want the Nelson. You know what the Nelson I'm, I'm is, right? And I know about a half Nelson. Well, this is the Nelson. <laughs> you don't want that. Nelson Munt. Sure, from the Simpsons. There you go. <laughs> well, I, I accept the Nelson. Smell you later is what he says when he leaves the room. No, You ever notice how that hasn't come yeah. to fruition, though? Almost no one says that to me in real life. All right. So, anyway, uh, Paul was on the show that was on just before us, and Danielle, of course, from Seeds of Change, filling in. Um, I'm holding on by fumes here. Um, I'm. I don't know how I just hit a wall like a half hour ago, but when my co-host called out, I, I thought I'd be getting some sleep. But I'm happy to be here regardless. Um, I'm just worn out from all this Hawaii stuff and and Trump stuff. It seems like there's only two issues in the news today for some reason. Absolutely. Can you guys hear me? Just just curious. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I hear you just Yep. Oh, awesome. Okay. Uh, For sure, I feel that. Um, The Hawaii stuff is is really, really difficult. Uh, Hawaii, Maui is my favorite place in the world Lahaina I've got very specific almost I I don't know I I can't touch it but I can smell it memories of of standing at that seawall when I was 18 years old and um, and just every once in a while just like um, you know scotch tape reminds me of Christmas morning every once in a while I live in San Diego and I'll smell the same smell. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain. It's kind of fishy. It's kind of humid. It's like, um, like the sea. Um, but we don't smell it very often in San Diego. But I, I can say maybe like a half a dozen times since then, I, I smelled it in San Diego. And it took me right back to that seawall um, on Front Street in Lahaina. And um, it's, I'm just kind of feeling all the feelings about it. So I, I totally feel feel you about uh, being a little worn out this week. So it just seems like, like we have, I don't want to say we figured it out because I don't know if we, if we can this soon, but it seems like the, the city of Maui, or maybe it could be the state, I, I don't know. I know there's a fire uh, in what, Oahu right now? 
possibly. I know there were three um, on Maui, and now okay. there's one in, in Oahu. It's possible. But here's my problem is that – so, I've, uh, you know, I've only been twice, uh, but, but both times were in August. And I can tell you that it rained every day. Not all day, every day, probably about 15 minutes every day, just about enough, you know, as much as your sprinklers go off, you know, but it rained every day. And so I, I'm having a, I'm really struggling right now to, um, but here's, here's, I guess the issue because they, they stopped all the, the brush cleaning and the, and the maintenance, uh, a while back along with, with, uh, with COVID. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in the 1% area, which is why Lady Gaga's house is perfectly fine. Do you know so where she for lives? The 99%, where her house is? What's that? Do you know where her house is? I, I don't know where the celebrities' houses are. I, I struggle to think that they're in Lahaina, but any idea? I, I would love to get a celebrity map. Um, I saw something, but don't make me look for it because I don't think I forwarded it. Okay. All right. So I'll, I'll look for it afterwards. It was um, basically have, just one of those, uh, it wasn't like a, uh, a Google earth, like on the, on the street maps. It was just like an overview yes. and you could see some really expensive houses in one area. And then the, that area was spared where everything else, but if you don't clear the brush and a power line goes down and it starts a fire, then that could take everything over. And the, the state, as you know, what just next week they're, they're planning a, uh, they already had a meeting planned so that they could turn uh, this area into, into a 15 minute city. Yeah. The first, yeah. The state I know. wanted I... this land and they figured it was just a matter of time. And if they just cut back, uh, whether this was sheer incompetence or whether this was pre-planned, because these these residents get calls. I thought I thought my phone rings all the time because mm-hmm. I get five to eight calls every single day for years with people asking me if I want to sell my house, and they get them every hour. For sure. Um, have you been to Maui? No, I've never been to Hawaii. Uh, Paul? I have not. Yeah. Um, go, for sure. Uh, it's it, There is an energy in Hawaii and specifically Maui like no others. You, you pull up to the airport and there's, there are chickens. There's chickens at the airport. Um, there is food everywhere all over the sides of the roads the people are amazing um and and i can see why america wanted to take it over um as a state uh and that's what it what they did you know this was a takeover for sure um and, but especially in lahaina this part of maui this was the original capital of hawaii you know there there are kings and queens buried in this city and um it is very it is the most in my opinion historic city in hawaii and it really makes sense you know with the aloha spirit that these people didn't want to sell it's 
right. one so, of a kind uh, so property. I, I want to try to to hit all the bullet points real quick here. So, mm-hmm. so we have power lines that go down in the middle of a huge windstorm that uh, that catch fire in the 99% of uh, uh, people, not the 1%, in an area where the city is already trying to decide how to, how to claim this land. Uh, and then you have these, these black rock types that are bothering these people all day. And these people are just getting bombarded left and right, and then they're left to uh, they, if they try to evacuate, they have nowhere to go because the police are not letting them go to a safer part of the island. The water is shut off. So uh, they're, they're not allowing any, any food in the area. No supplies are allowed in. And, uh, and Brandon wants to, to be nice to these people and give each family, not, not a person, but each family, each each, each house that got burned down is eligible to receive up to $700. One-time payment. Disgusting. So I just want to interject. This. Meanwhile, the, uh, meanwhile you have, the, you have the, the state that is talking about how they're going to reclaim this land and, uh, and do something spectacular with it, and the residents are still... They're still devastated, but at the same time, they're like, this is my land. How, how are you going to take it from me? So go ahead, Paul. I know you wanted to jump in. I wanted to finish all my bullet points. I appreciate you doing I mean, we all appreciate you doing that, uh, especially the, the show is for the audience. I always try to mention the audience and keep that in mind. We could have just rang each other up and had this conversation privately, right? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what you did was you, you – you, uh, illustrated a list of ingredients that seem an awful lot like uh, this was, if not wholly premeditated, certainly not unwelcome. And they're, and they're in no hurry to, to and what I would call solve it, that is presuming that the goal is to protect the people's private property and let them, you know, solving it would be like put out the fire, give them the supplies they need, right, solve. But from the stand, if, if their eye is on a different ball, if their eye is on the ball of, manufacture a crisis, make people desperate, and then they'll come to us, the state, the government, for help, at which point we are in a position to say, ah, we're here to help you, so just give it all over to us and we'll make it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like what the ingredients sort of, some of those parts seem to equate to that whole, yeah? And it's really worthwhile to point out, so the, the, new, the new deal is something that they, get, they bring up all the time. I've noticed. Green New Deal. The fact that the words New Deal do not spell instant political suicide for every politician mm-hmm. who utters them or attaches them to their piece of any piece of legislation is very uh, – it, it's an indictment of the, uh, of, the, of the populace, the ignorance of the populace. Right. The New Deal is their template because it was just a manufa- – it was a crisis manufactured by the state that is the Fed – which is a relatively newly created institution at that time, manufactured a shortage in, in currency, a deflation situation. And then you had Roosevelt come in and the New Dealers who came in and enacted all this socialism, all this collectivism, all this high tax, and, 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 and had the people running to them for, quote, help, 
this, quote, help just exacerbated the original problem, leading to, you know, the, pro- the popular axiom of let no uh, crisis go to waste, of course, mm-hmm. lends itself to, of course, lends itself to let no election go by without a crisis, you see. And so this has the, this, and as long as you can keep tricking the, the rubes, swindling the rubes, into thinking that the people who are there, who are harming them and doing this to them are actually here to help them. This goes on forever, and it benefits the political class, the class in power perpetually, hurting all other classes. And that is the greatest legacy of the New Deal, which we can talk about later if you want to. I'm more in the history books than I am in the headlines. Crazy because the headlines are usually repetitive. They'll usually rot your brain. You just, every once in a while, you usually know what you need to know. Uh, for the whole, uh, for the most part, but what you said, Dave, and and really uh, enumerating those bullet points and bringing that home, I mean, it all comes together. Their go- their God, their Sun God is Frank Roosevelt and the New Deal. It's just a, a series of manufactured crises, beginning another crisis, which makes another solution, which makes it worse. You solve it with another, so, and it, on and on it goes, and it, it just seems right up their alley. If this is a coincidence, it's one hell of a of a whole lot of coincidence. I agree. Um, can I go into a little bit of a conspiracy theory? Anybody, anybody mind? Have fun. Have fun. Go ahead. Okay. So um, it's interesting that we're coming up on um, another 9-11 anniversary because I see a lot of similarities between the fire uh, in Maui and the falling of the towers. And um, for years and years and years, um, I've been called a conspiracy theory theorist uh, because um, I believed in something called directed energy weapons. Okay. Um, and I can say that in the last few years, it's been really interesting because, well, okay. Okay. So not only a crazy conspiracy theory, uh, theorist, but um, you know, a- I believe in alien technology, Right. That's what, um, what I've, these are the, the criticisms that, um, that I've gotten because I've got a theory that the, the towers were taken down by directed energy weapons. Um, I could do a five-part series on, uh, on 9-11. As a matter of fact, uh, this next week will be week three of a five-part series on um, 9-11. So, All right, so let me um, just jump in here that uh... – we did have a host many years ago, Ace Baker, that had uh, – he became somewhat popular because he was the one that came up with the the CGI plane theory. Yes, okay. Yep, so, um, and, and I, I, I believe – So that, go ahead. Okay, so um, so I'll go over just really quickly. The, the first week there was a uh, – I, I played a, 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 um, a clip of, of a flight attendant who worked for um, American Airlines at the time, who believes that um, planes did not hit the building, but something hit the building. The CGI, I believe, um, kind of detracts from, from the reality that this flight attendant believes because of a lot of things like, for instance, like when you fly on an airline, can you pick up your cell phone and call your loved ones? Why did we have so many people who were at cruising altitude or just below 
that could call there. <laughs> I mean, uh, even approaching San Diego, I can't get a signal, right? So um, how did all of these people um, do this, use their cell phones? Um, and then, and so on and so forth. I can, um, I could link uh, the interview, but really, what this the the flight attendant believes, uh, because of a lot of different things, she wrote a whole book about it, was that those planes were on the ground when they were making phone calls, and unfortunately, those passengers died, but did not die the way did not die by flying into a building. Or, you know, or, or crashing a plane in Pennsylvania or into the Pentagon. They were on the ground and died in some other way, but did not die getting thrown into the, <laughs> crashed into the, the World Trade Center. Um, now, uh, alternate theories, I'm not saying that it was completely um, fake. There, there might have been some kind of catalyst. And a lot of people did see something that didn't look like commercial airliners, but possibly... Um, some kind of drone or, or some other, you know, something else, something perhaps could have hit those buildings, but they didn't fall, you know, they, they didn't, you know, uh, get hit by, by um, planes and fall, because how would you explain building seven if, even if that was the case? Um, so CGI may have had some part of it when it was being televised, to the world, maybe, but I don't think it was complete fantasy that something hit the buildings. Those phone calls, though, that was hilarious to me back in the day because it was like, hello, I'm Allison F. Smith, your mother. Like, who's going to use their middle initial when calling their son? And exactly. then they're going to just say their full name. Right, because I have three mothers named Allison Smith, and so you better denote which one you are by using your middle initial. Yeah, right. That, everyone knows that. Everyone, yeah, that, that is pretty bizarre, yeah. When I call my mom, I say, hey, it's me. Yeah. Okay, sure, so that's, sure. that's well, actually a good – that's why I started with that in a cognitive dis, dissonance video – um, audio, excuse me, which I would love to play. It's all, it's a very short clip, but it's about, and I've got it downloaded. I could pull it up right now um, if right. you guys are game for it. But it's an audio. What's that? Go ahead. Oh, awesome. Okay. So it's an audio of um, the uh, um, a group of um, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, who get together and discuss cognitive dissonance around different events. And this is their audio. Um, it's, it's actually a YouTube video I could post in the chat if anybody's interested. But the gist definitely gets through with the audio of um, cognitive dissonance around, surrounding 9-11. So if you guys are ready, I'll, I'll go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, three, two, one. Most of us who have lived with the events of 9-11 have, as a result, experienced some kind of trauma. It can be very difficult to come to terms with what actually happened at the World Trade Center. In fact, someone told me recently, I wouldn't believe what you're telling me even if it were true. 
Our petition signers, with psychological expertise, have stepped forward to offer their insight. While this segment is clearly outside the knowledge base of the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, these experts in psychology highlight their valuable experience for us as to why this evidence can still be so difficult for people to accept. As we know, the horrors of what happened on 9-11 were televised all over the world, and they were televised, in fact, live. We witnessed the deaths of almost 3,000 of our fellow Americans. We know this had a very um, severe and traumatic impact on a large a majority of the population. At this point, we have nine years of hard scientific evidence that disproves the government theory about what happened on September 11th, and yet people continue to be either oblivious to the fact that this information exists or completely resistant to looking at this information. So the question becomes why? Why is it that people have so much trouble hearing this information? From my work, I think we would be remiss not to look at the impact of trauma. Many people respond to these truths in a very deep way. Some have a visceral reaction like they've been punched in the stomach. To begin to accept the possibility that the government was involved is like opening Pandora's box. If you open the lid and peek in a little bit, it's, it, it's going to challenge some of your fundamental beliefs about the world. If we can think of our worldview as being sort of our mental and emotional home, I think all of us will do just about anything to defend our homes, to defend our families. And, and so I see that with people, and I saw that with myself when my brother tried to talk with me about it, of don't mess with me, don't mess with my home, don't mess with my comfort with how things are. About a week later, I read a lengthy article by Professor Griffin um, about why he believes the official account of 9-11 cannot be true. And it was a very well-researched article. It was in my office at the time. I sat there and I felt my stomach churning. I thought maybe I was going to be sick. And I leaped out of my chair and ran out the door and took a, a long walk around the block, around several blocks, um, and just broke down. I understand now that what was happening was my worldview about my government being in some way my protector, almost like a parent, had been dashed. And uh, it was like being cast out into the wilderness. I think it's the closest way to describe that feeling. And I sobbed and I sobbed, felt like the ground had completely disappeared beneath my feet. And and I knew at some point during the walk that I knew that I was going to have to become active in educating other people about this, that, there was, that for me to retain any sense of integrity, I was going to have to take some action. I couldn't just let something like this go. When we hear information that contradicts our worldview, social psychologists call the resulting insecurity cognitive dissonance. For example, with 9-11, we have one cognition, which is what the official story of 9-11, what our government told us, what our media repeated to us over and over, that 19 Muslims attacked us. On the other hand, we have what scientists, researchers, architects, engineers are now beginning to tell us, which is that there is evidence that shows that the official story cannot be true. So now we've lost our sense of security.
we are starting to feel vulnerable. Now we're confused. 9-11 Truth challenges the beliefs that our country protects us and keeps us safe and that America is the good guy. When your beliefs are challenged, fear and anxiety are created. In response to that, our psychological defenses kick in and they protect us from these emotions. Denial, which is probably the most primitive psychological defense, is the one most likely to kick in when our beliefs are challenged. And it's a very, very uncomfortable state to be in. And eventually, our mind shuts off. Just like when a computer is overloaded, our minds get overloaded. We can't handle it anymore, and we shut down. And what some of us will tend to do is deny the evidence that's coming our way and stick to the original story, the official story, and to try to regain our equilibrium in that way. Another thing we can do is decide to look at the conflicting evidence and be sincere and be open-minded and look at both sides of the issue and then make up our own mind about what reality is. Here are a few of those, of those spontaneous initial reactions to hearing the contradictory evidence about 9-11. I don't want to know the truth or I'd become too negative and psychologically go downhill. I'm not sure I want to know. If this is true, then up would be down and down would be up. My life would never be the same. They say, this is the way the world works. And I'm, I'm convinced this is the right way the world works. 9-11 doesn't fit into that paradigm. So I don't need to look at the evidence. Fran, I refuse to believe that that many Americans could be that satanically treasonous. Someone would have talked. But these are beliefs. They are not scientific facts. But these beliefs do keep us from looking at the empirical evidence. Whenever we say, I refuse to believe, we can be sure that the evidence that's coming our way is not bearable and that it's, going, it's conflicting with our worldview much too much. As I thought about all of these responses, I realized that what is common to every one of them is the emotion of fear. People are afraid of being ostracized, they're afraid of being alienated, they're afraid of being shunned, they're afraid of their lives being inconvenienced, they'd have to change their lives, they're afraid of being confused, they're afraid of psychological deterioration. They're afraid of feeling helpless and vulnerable. And they're afraid that they won't be able to handle the feelings that are coming up. None of us want to feel helpless and vulnerable. Healing comes through facing the truth, experiencing it, allowing the feelings to come in. So that if there are feelings of fear that perhaps these events were caused by something that we haven't thought about yet, dark elements within our society, for example, we'll let that come in and explore it. Let the light shine on whatever happened. This will be the most healing process. The Germans did this after their war. The South Africans did this after apartheid. Reconciliation through the truth is what uh, is a deep path to psychological recovery from the myths and lies around which this historic event has been cloaked 
in the official view. One of the ways to deal with a trauma is to find the answers. That's why I think it is of such importance to have a comprehensive investigation. To work together to expose what happened regardless of where the evidence takes us. That's what we expect in our state government, law enforcement. I think that by putting science together with the law, we will have a psychological healing around the impossible cognition that has been produced on that day. After World War II, uh, part of the way that uh, Jewish people honored the dead was by making sure that the truth was known and that the value of these people was respected. Not pursuing the truth about 9-11 disrespects the value of the life of the people that died. Thinking that we're above uh, such things, that it could happen in other countries, but it couldn't happen here, that's a lack of humility and that's excessive pride. And so not being able to see our dark side or our weaknesses is the most dangerous thing. A feature of American history that makes us uh, particularly uh, liable to this pride is this notion that's, of, that's called exceptionalism, that America is the exceptional nation. And that began from the beginning as, the, as this country was uh, formed. Uh, the people would say, well, there was so much evil in the European country, so much uh, cheating, so much uh, lying, so much uh, using the people for the ruler's purposes, but not in America. We have leaders that are free from those sins. So I think this has made 9-11 um, particularly difficult for Americans. So we need to understand that questioning is, uh, is patriotic. Questioning is what we're supposed to do as citizens. That's our duty. One thing that has become important for me personally is to educate myself, is to take responsibility. Um, there's that wonderful quote from Mahatma Gandhi where he said that we must be the change that we wish to see in the world. When we come to the national level, when something like 9-11 happens, we need to be sure that we have a real investigation into who the perpetrators are, and then we need to be sure that those perpetrators are held legally accountable. It's part of the healing process on the individual level as on the collective level. We need the truth in order to heal. Okay, that was a whole lot. <laughs> but I think that's kind of why we're here. You can, you know, put in 9-11 or Maui um, or, or fill in the blanks. We, we have to investigate this stuff and we have to, I guess, acknowledge that, you know, we... <laughs> I, I, okay, I'm going to stop there. You, I'd love your thoughts. Uh, well, I'll, really, I'll say this. go ahead. Thanks, Dave. I'll do it. Uh, or I'll, I'll speak first. Uh, so, yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. This has to be uh, the right thing to do in all questions is to obey, seek evidence, obey the evidence, and just understand that, you, are, you know, opinions are in facts trump fiction, right? Like, 
Well, whatever the evidence does, it doesn't matter if you don't like it. There's four, it's just like first grade or kindergarten. When they put the four wooden blocks in front of you, you spend your time with them, right? You put them left to right. You stack them up and down. You arrange them diagonally. You, you, you turn them around, right, so that the front and the back, no matter what you do, two plus two equals four. Whether you like it or you don't is irrelevant. It's the least important factor in the history of the planet. Two plus two equals four. If you're not good enough for that, you're not good enough to pass the first grade, and, as, and rightfully so. And so what you're saying is absolutely correct. You talk about uh, spend a lot of time in that clip speaking of cognitive dissonance, which is basically just willful ignorance. Well, not even ignorance, right? They know for sure that, that, you know, two plus two does not equal seven, but they're just saying I'm choosing to arrive at what I know for sure is the incorrect answer because of some character flaw that the person possesses. And this is what I actually term the intellectual lower class in my first book. Uh, and uh, PhDs on the subject uh, have, have noted similar behavior in the economic lower class. But it's the same thing. Uh, you basically, you know, the economic lower class will see, for example, the person A gets their paycheck at their job, and they take it all as soon as they get paid, and they buy $200 basketball shoes, even though they don't play basketball, and they buy some kind of fake gold chain or whatever. It's all flash. They don't save any of it, and they think, like, well, I'm succeeding, right? I have this stuff. Well, if the people next to them don't behave that way, save their money, and then graduate to move, all of a sudden the person next to me has a car, and I just have these, these basketball shoes I don't need. Now, instead of admitting that I was the one who was wrong, I'm going to pretend that the other person did something wrong to me, right, because they behaved like an adult and I didn't. And uh, you can check out my website, pauldayton.us, where I have an article about that and many other things. Uh, and it's, it's, you're, you're saying it's exactly right. We must obey, we must examine it. First of all, question it. Seek evidence, obey the evidence, and see where it takes us. Now, I would like to learn from you uh, what you think. So what, what, what about this weapon? How was it used? How does it operate? How did it take down the towers? How did it uh, run into the Pentagon or whatever it did to the Pentagon? Because I, I have, I mean, the, the, what I uh, have sort of suspected to be the case was that some kind of a missile hit the Pentagon. Yeah, um, yeah, yep. Yeah. Missile so are thrown. Okay, so you, you said it's some kind of energy weapon. Is that the same as a missile? Well, no. So what I'm saying is that um, the World Trade Center's, uh, the complex, not, you know, because we know that it's more than two buildings. There's, um, oh gosh, at least seven, right? It, it's a whole complex um, of, of buildings. And um, so I... The things that hit the thing that hit the ground in Pennsylvania, and the thing that hit the Pentagon, I don't really think that those were directed energy weapons. But what took down the World Trade Center complex, I believe, was a directed energy weapon. Um, and I, you know, and um, I think we can most of us can agree that that um, that those towers, at least those two, three, and Tower Seven were all taken down, um, but not the way that the official narrative said that it was taken down. Correct? Are we, are we all in agreement with that? Oh, sure. Absolutely. But what I'm asking you is probably a question a lot of the audience has. Like, t- tell me about this, 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 this direct energy weapon. What is okay. it? How does so it work? Can, and how uh, did it take down the Trade Center building? Wonderful. Great question. Um, a lot, you know, I've been 
this has been my theory for quite some time. In the last couple of years, Raytheon and Boeing has, have, has made it much easier because they now brag about directed energy weapons. So I would suggest that any, anybody in the audience goes to uh, Boeing.com or Raytheon.com and um, look up or even Google um, directed energy weapons, Raytheon or Boeing, because now they're um, bragging about it on their websites fund us, fund us, because we have directed energy weapons. Um, but we all know that these things were um, probably around much longer than um, advertised. If now, if now in you know, the last few years, these major weapons companies are admitting that they have them. They're starting to be part of the mainstream narrative. Um, and so a directed energy weapon in um, – my opinion and a lot of other, I mean, I'm just a layman, but I do research and there are a lot of experts out there that say a directed energy weapon is a mix between um, a microwave energy and magnetic energy. So we've got a glimpse of what happens um, in the microwave. If you put a piece of chicken on a paper plate in the microwave um, the chicken gets cooked, but the paper is cool to the touch, right? So that is uh, a that's microwave energy, right? Um, and but but what happens if you put metal in a microwave? It re, it reacts completely differently. Um, this is a really intense topic that I can't. Like I said, I've got a three-hour show. Um, every Sunday, Seeds of Change uh, from 3 to 6 Pacific. And it's taking me five weeks. This Sunday will be week three to explain all of this. It, it takes a very long time, but that's the gist of it, is a, a you know, um, a combination Tesla stuff. If anybody's looked up Tesla, uh, Tesla is definitely a... Um, a, a test subject, right? Or not test subject, but they, he, he took this theory and created it. So, and it's been created many, many times throughout, not just recent history, but ancient history. Um, you know, like spoiler alert pyramids. How did they build pyramids? How did they lift, you know, gigantic blocks, you know, and it has to do with this kind of energy. I really do believe that we are a species with amnesia. They, you know, they dole out this uh, 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 technology little by little. We're in the dark ages right now. Civilizations at the beginning of time can do things that we can't do now. But we're getting these soft disclosures um, and directed energy weapons. They don't have to be a weapon. It's an energy source. It could be an unlimited energy source. We could use it to, you know, eliminate fossil fuels, you know, there's, there's, uh, but right now what they're, what the powers that be are doing with it is showing us weapons, showing us that we can take out a building um, right in front of our eyes, two buildings, six buildings, right there. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not going to, yeah. So that I'll stop there, but that's, unless you've got more questions. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, so you you reject the AE nine eleven truth guys their assertion that there were a bunch of uh, 
explosives planted throughout those those two towers and Building Seven, uh, which were detonated remotely. You, you, I and, think that and caused... it was definitely a controlled demolition. That's for sure. Um, but what I'm saying is that where did the towers go? Which is the title of a book by Dr. Judy Wood. Um, and when you really look at the evidence of what you know, we had. 210 stories worth of buildings that was, you know, we, that 14 people walked out. They made a movie about it. How is it that these, these firefighters that were trapped in the, you know, one of the corners of the building um, were able to see with 210 stories on them, those buildings evaporated. I'm not saying that there was no rubble, but the majority of the rubble vaporized it turned into dust that's why you see everybody walking around with with dust all over them that's why you see paper you know that's that from from me um as an eyewitness i wasn't there but i saw it on tv one of my memories that's burned in into me from watching this footage is all the paper you know this this building you know this was melted steel it's, it's 2500 degrees to melt Steel, right, and these these buildings just disappeared, but the paper was st- was still there. There, you know, you could walk walk around with rubber hoses that didn't burn. You know, like there's all kinds of pictures and evidence that that these towers obviously fell, but well, passports didn't burn, right? Precisely, that is another excellent. Well, yeah, if you can believe that, you know, there were still passports. So it didn't burn paper, but it burnt steel. It didn't burn leaves. You know, like what what is going on? How could you know? There's one picture of a of um, some firefighters walking with an igloo cooler. You know, um, around this site when it's supposedly still hot enough to melt steel-toed boots, but the the igloo cooler is okay. Didn't burn. You know, this is a different kind of energy that then you know where this um civilization now has seen you know maybe ancient technologies did but this is not an energy source that we have been privy to until now and we're seeing a lot more disclosures of this since 9-11 that's very interesting i would like to ask both of you a question i have so it sounds like you sort of the main um and we're talking about us specific day, but really the larger issue is what about what I call the intellectual lower class? What about these people who, in the first place, don't don't ask for any evidence? When right. it's presented, then then when evidence is presented, they pretend that they can like substitute an unsubstantiated claim or a T-shirt slogan in place of, as though it was equal to presenting contrary evidence. <laughs> That's why uh, I started out with a cognitive dissonance video, but go ahead. Yeah, that's the ostrich effect. The ostrich effect. That's, what's that, from putting their head down in the sand? Yeah, it, it, because yeah. We're, not, we're not a CNN host, so therefore what we say doesn't matter. Well, the problem, so, what, this is, so to solve this, my attempt at solving this on a popular level, uh, you know, on the streets, right, and a nonviolent solution is I suggest to people know three things. If you can know three facts 
about any popularly discussed issue. For example, 9-11, what happened? There's an example of that. How about the COVID monster? Uh, how about the New Deal? Uh, on and on you go. The, the, the climate change, uh, over and over again, whatever, you, monopolized medicine. Whatever it is, there's a popularly discussed issue, and I don't watch, I don't pay attention to the headlines, but I know what the tabloids are saying because I go out into the world. And when I hear a bunch of people saying things to me, so I just, like, pay attention to history books and, or books that are with, with, like, facts, evidence, data tables, right? And so when somebody speaks to me in the language of T-shirt slogans, uh, it sticks out, and they say something that's contrary to the evidence I've seen uh, in passing, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And then when I ask them simple questions about it, and they can't, like, give me any answers. They don't actually know. I mean, K-N-O-W. They don't actually know anything about the issue. Then I know for sure what the tabloids are saying, right? They're giving them these instructions. They're easy to swallow. They're easy to regurgitate. They don't have to actually know anything at all. Like, if you want, that's, that's part of how I got off of that stuff. I, re, I would watch that stuff. I thought I was sort of, like, getting involved and starting to understand what was going on in the world. I was 22, 23, whatever. And I, then I ran into Milton Friedman, Free to Choose. And uh, I, I saw that, and I'm like, oh, my God. These people like, actually know things. It's not just, like, a contest of, like, oh, yeah, well, you are. I know you are, but what am I? I know the person says, you know, rubber and glue bounce from me and stick to you. And that's sort of, like, presented as though it's a legitimate discussion of intelligent people. And then these people actually, like, they know statistics, they know facts and evidence. For example, uh, during the New Deal, there was a pervasive 15 to 20% unemployment rate in the United States for an entire decade. It's fact one. I ran into a woman in the world. Uh, here, I live in West Virginia. I just moved to West Virginia uh, three years ago when I fled Soviet New York during the communist shutdowns of 2020. We are now presently experiencing the communist riot inflation, when people call it the COVID monster inflation. It, number one, legitimizes the scam that was done. And number two, it doesn't put the blame where it belongs. People were, for, everything was stopped for an entire summer. People who, who were paid more to not work and to behave like animals and ride in the streets and just behave like garbage and be unproductive than they had ever been paid for engaging in productive activity in many cases. Everything was shut down. These people burned, looted, and murdered their way through the summer. So when you have a recipe of inflation is a problem created by uh, too many dollars and not enough people seeking them, right? And so there's this excess of money and, they, and it loses value. Uh, when you simultaneously increase the money supply, when you go to the Fed, it's actually F-R-E-D, fred.stlouis.org is the Fed's website, but that's where you go. If you look at the M2, M2 number, watch it. Watch the graph. It goes up at an approximately 80-degree angle beginning in, in, in the spring of 2020. I mean, I have in Milton Friedman, uh, Milton Friedman here, his name out of my book, uh, out of my mouth a lot because he's a rock star and nobody knows who he is. They know Karl Marx, but they don't know Milton Friedman. Uh, he, he wrote a great book, Monetary History of the United States, in which he illustrated that the Fed caused the money problem, uh, amongst many other things. Uh, but if you look at the, the increase in the M2 supply, the money supply, during World War One, and then for World War Two. And then you look at the increase for the COVID monster. If they were ski slopes, World War I and World War II were the bunny hills, like the little easy ones. And the COVID monster was Mount Everest. I mean, it, it, it's totally out of whack. So when you, when you increase the money supply drastically and you forbid the productive activity, in particularly the most, uh, like the largest cities, you know, we have Illinois, Chicago shut down, New York City shut down. 
uh, California, they shut that down. Uh, when you do that, this is a recipe. This is this, you are creating a recipe for inflation. Right? This is a manufactured crisis, and unfortunately, this is not going to be over in like you know one year or one election. This is going to be around for probably a decade and a half or two decades. Unfortunately, yes, I you, agree. If you, if you if you have people who know, if we could try to get people in the audience in the world, you in the audience, try to know three things about any particular issue. Number one, and then number two. Only speak the language of evidence when you're talking to these people in, amongst ourselves in the, on the street at the supermarket. Do you think this could be an effective strategy for raising the bar for the average from its present, uh, its present level of just speak, whoever can like regurgitate the, the, the T-shirt slogan the loudest wins to actually behaving like as good as a first grader and obeying the evidence? Do you, do you suppose that this could be uh, potentially an effective strategy to try to actually help people? Um, any, I mean, I have an answer. Is proof? Do you want to jump in? No, go ahead. You can. You can get in. And at we some have a, point, we have a we caller. Have a caller too. I don't know that, if oh, never mind. Uh, somebody has their hand up here, and uh, I'll let you get your point in first. The caller's back. Maybe we jump in with the caller. All right, that's Pianchi, so Pianchi and Baton Rouge. You know, uh, I started when I was uh, 19 erecting structural steel buildings like the ones that fell in New York. And then in my later years, I had my own company erecting structural steel buildings like the ones that fell in New York. Southern oh, so Illinois and St. Louis. Those buildings were brought down by controlled demolition. They used thermite. Basically, the reason why I come to concrete pulverized because it was it wasn't thick. It didn't have any reinforcement in it. It was poured on one inch centering decking that provides the form. But no, it wasn't no pulse rays or anything like that. And still, you know, some of the columns, the uh, some of the columns that uh, shaft, parts of the column shaft that was remaining, and you could, there's pictures of some that was, you know, set aside. I guess they was going to load it out later. It was cut on a 45-degree angle so that the top shaft would slide by the bottom shaft and, you know, continue, continue on, on down to the ground. So... That's how that happened. And you may mention about pyramids. I spent nine years in Egypt going in and out of tombs, temples, and pyramids, and they used a ramp system to put those stones on top of each other. They they use what kind of system? Ramps, R-A-M-P-S, dirt ramps. That's a trick. Why don't we do that now? Because we've got cranes, and nobody wants to build pyramids. But the cranes we have today, even the lamps at 1200 couldn't have set those stones in the center. It's just, it's just not that type of machine today, so you know they didn't have it then. But, so do you believe that uh, we live pyramid, in the dark ages then? No, we just don't have no need for it. The uh, pyramid that's next to, next to Seneferu's, 
Neferu, Neferu started off building a, a pyramid next to the red pyramid he has now, and you can see where they made a mistake. It's called the Bent, B-E-N-T pyramid. They started off at the wrong angle and tried to correct themselves, and they wasn't, so they abandoned it and went and done some more study and came back and built the red pyramid. Another thing, no one talks about is about 80 pyramids that's down in the northern Sudan, which is south of Egypt, where they was practicing. Yeah, there's pyramids, pyramids everywhere, actually. A, yeah, the pyramids that you have there is a remesis of erupting volcanoes, like Kilimanjaro, which they call the mountain of the moon. So, oh, we didn't have no age, no uh, aliens tearing down the buildings <laughs> in New York. It was a little bit more complicated than that. Can I ask the caller a question? First of all, thank you for calling the show. And I have a question about what, what you said, what you mentioned about the concrete in, in, the, in the trade center uh, buildings. You mentioned that they were uh, cut on a 45 degree angle. Now, the was column, this some, not so the, the concrete. The steel, the like you saying. The vertical column, oh, the, the vertical support minimum was cut on a 45 degree angle so that the top shaft would slide by the lower shell because if you just cut it square at a 90 degrees, it just come down a little bit at a time. And that wouldn't have served the purpose that uh, they was intended to do. When would that have been? What would have been so you had hands on experience from working with these kinds of things. My question is for you is more about uh, in the area of what kind of manpower, what would it take to do that? How long would it take? How many people? Could one person do it overnight by themselves? Would you need a crew of people in there for hours? Like, what would be involved with making You mean to, uh, set the de- to set the, uh, de- the uh, explosives? No, 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 they can't do it overnight. Yeah, and the thermite and cutting the steel. Yeah, all, all of it. Like, it seems like the – okay, so that's what we're going to do next week on my show, just, like, really quick. Not, yeah, shameless plug-in, yes, but um, is the Architects for 9-11 Truth and what they say happened to these buildings, right? So um, this is a really great conversation that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear, but, yeah, please go well, on. In, in the business, architects take an owner's vision and design it. Structural engineers is the ones who place the steel members according to what the load is going to be. And my people, iron workers, we erect it. And mm-hmm. in the process, we run into all kinds of mistakes that the structural engineers make. And, you know, we have to correct them. But uh, that's how that goes. Architects, see, those people are licensed. They ain't not going to come out and tell what they would consider as being the truth because they lose their license, just like right. you see what's happening to people now with the COVID issue. Absolutely. They get Great point. Getting kicked out. Yeah. So they couldn't bother me. I say what the hell I want. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. One of the many evils of occupational licensing, you know, there are people who say, well, it's to help people, it's to do this or to that, but the trouble is that they start deciding who can and cannot do things, and they start making rules uh, afterwards. You know, you think they're going to be altruistic and, and, and for the for the good of people, for the, the medical profession, a number, a number one example. I mean, that started with, with, with Hippocrates, uh, the market sharing between, between doctors and surgeons, right? The, those who diagnose sh- sh- shall not cut he who has the stone, uh, or however it goes. Yeah. Uh, 
And so you have the American Medical Association, which is, I mean, it's a bit of a tricky issue. I mean, I understand that have lawsuits uh, are, are a bit of a problem, but the AMA says, hey, look, this is your union card. Let's call it what it is. It's a union card. Union is just a monopoly. And so it says your monopoly card. This is your union card. It's called your AMA card. And if you want to be in the club and their way nobody can compete with you who doesn't have this, you know, the club is its own little closed shop and you can charge whatever you want, whatever you can get away with, and that's fine. But if you don't do what we say, we're going to take that card away from you. There's nothing you can do about it because we're the only source of the union card. We're the only source of your license, your occupational license. Uh, and it's a great instrument for control. And that's, that's what our caller has just illustrated, and he's right on. It's not unique. To, I mean, it, it, it's one of the great instruments of control is, is having, you know, the state decide who can and cannot do what. Maoist and Maoist China, that you had to have a card for everything. I mean, there was a special card to get a bicycle. Uh, that is, if you had enough, like, of their money, their, I'll call them dollars, uh, if you had enough of, the, of their currency to buy a bicycle, you couldn't buy one. The shop owner could not sell it to you. You needed to have enough money and the special permission from the state to buy that item, that, that, that unusual item. Yeah. Is and you know what else, too? Go ahead. Another, another big problem we have here in the United States today is that the population is ignorant. They are ignorant. Mm-hmm. Your schools are not educating your children to have logical experience. They're not teaching the scientists. They're not teaching the biology. And they react They're like you have experience. You're right. They indoctrinate. They react like you have experience since COVID. And they would believe anything about what happened on 9-11 because they don't know. They just That's don't know. True. So I don't well, because, okay, so maybe you missed this caller, but we uh, did a, a little video on something called cognitive dissonance beforehand where it's just, you know, we are indoctrinated as youth, to, as youth you know, during school uh, to believe that we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? And so that's why, you know, when the government says something, we believe it. Um, and it's, it's simply not true, and it's sad. So your politicians? Your politicians at the federal level is doing things, especially the ones of notoriety, the peons, you know, like your Maxine Waters and that, they don't get no big stuff. But your other ones, you know, you see Joe Biden, they're the one that's privileged to the big dollars. And that's what it is. Money is going to Ukraine. I call it the boomerang. It goes to Ukraine, then it comes back around. It goes to the campaign coffers of these politicians, and then, therefore, they can do anything they want to. There's no regulations on it. Yeah. So, as far so as when do we say, so, all right, caller, question. When do we say we don't comply? We, we won't do it. We withdraw our consent. You can, you can tell that to not you can tell that to the Supreme Court. Say we ain't going to do it. It's unconstitutional, just like Alabama just done when the court told Alabama to create a separate black district. Uh, Alabama, so we ain't gonna do it. That's all we can see. They don't have policing powers. Right. Federal government don't have policing powers. Got Congress don't have policing powers. If that's the case, they wouldn't have trouble going into the Area 51 to see what the hell's there. When the Department of Defense say no, we ain't gonna tell you. Uh, as you seen those hearings that was going on, oh, that's uh, we it's still being investigated. Well, you just got to tell them hell no. Then you got to take back control of the federal government, 
by amending the U.S. Constitution. Now, here's the thing, though. If you do that and it don't work, well, you know what the next thing is going to be. Well, well, we're here. What kind of amendment would you what, – what specifically would you um, – If let's just say you could, you could sit down and write the amendment and have it placed on there with, you know, let's, let's just pretend that that could happen. How would you amend it? Well, one thing, you got to stop the overreach, like the controlling of land in these states. That's one thing. The, the Congress or the federal government is not supposed to own no land other than what's specified in the Constitution, like forts, mm-hmm. magazines, ports, and stuff like that. For them to be telling states that have natural resources, you got to get a license from us first. That's a bunch of bull crap. Yeah. The money they charge for licenses, that money should be going to the state, to the people of that state. Not to Washington, where it ends up nobody knows where. Right. That's one thing. And you got to control their spending. You got to make them follow a budget. And the states okay. that do that now, see what they do, they threaten states and say, we're not going to give you. But the states can say, you, well, we're not going to give you, whereas you can withhold from us what we give you. Now, what are they going to do? They can't do jack. Well, they certainly can. We just saw them do it through COVID. Um, okay, let me okay, let me just set up um, a really quick scenario that we all just lived through, right? COVID, and um, they they took powers, right? These are these are extraordinary emergency use powers, right? We're just, you're talking about you know um, regular times, right? But we we all kind of know that we live in extraordinary times, right? And so as a current event, um, you know we've we've got a history scholar among us here. Um, so you remember COVID. And what I have yeah. to say is that they rammed their agenda down our throats and took away many, many liberties. Now, I live in a city. Let me ask you a question. Let yep. me ask you a question, man. Is what they've done unconstitutional? Yes. Yes or no? Absolutely. All right, now listen to this. Listen to this. Nowhere in the Constitution can you find an on-off switch. It's on all the time. No matter if it's hurricane, pandemic, volcano eruptions, whether it's a snowstorm, the Constitution is on all the time. Amen, brother. So I they totally agree. agree. When they try to deny you, and what I'm saying the government and the evils that's in it, they try to deny you your constitutional protections, like you got people who were saying that I don't think that you are sincere in your religious convictions where you don't want to take it. They don't have no business doing that. Now, if so people, can I I, I don't. Pardon so me? I just want to interject this. We just had the question of of is the the overreach in the, the federal government action during the COVID monster uh, episode uh, was it unconstitutional? And, and you both arrived at the answer of yes. I would like to challenge that assertion uh, because by stating that it permits special powers, special emergency powers. And that's the dirty word. What they did wrong. So one thing that they that if we could make a change uh, would be to make make that more much 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 more specific. We can't uh, because they can. Let me that's what happened the great failure of socialism called the No Deal. He just called he called the New Deal. He just used the word emergency. It's a special emergency. Yeah. I mean, well, emergency power 
and during during the COVID we monster, it's going on for a long time. And, and give them power to do this. Go ahead. Let me say this. Let me say the Constitution is absolute. It's absolute. A, a child does not give birth to the mama. I know nowhere on earth in no mammal society where the child gives birth to the mama. Yes. So they cannot put the Constitution on hold unless you allow it. Yes. Absolutely. Now, with that said, I'm going to play a – this is less than one minute, okay? But I was – are we – is everybody familiar with the, the Clay and Buck show? No, but that's okay. Play what you have to play. No, we're talking – okay, the Rush Limbaugh, you know Rush Limbaugh? Yeah, I know who he was. That, okay. I think, right? So these are the people who – He was who a great took, man. Yes. He, and he took – so the Clay and Buck show took over for Rush Limbaugh, okay? And so in, okay. um, in October um, 2021, San Diego, the San Diego Unified School District, their board says every child has to get COVID shots. Ooh. And so um, – and I, happy stories like this is like um, cutting to the spoiler alert, but we won and San Diego um, children do not have to get in 2023, do not have to be COVID vaccine, vaccinated to go to school. But here we are, fresh breaking news in um, October of 2021. And I was on the Clay and Buck show and I can tell you that this is what we need to do on every issue that is unconstitutional. Here we go. Three, two, one. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. We are rolling through the Thursday edition of the program. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Encourage you to download podcasts. Make sure you don't miss a moment. You can search out my name, Clay Travis, or Buck Sexton on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere, Google Play, that you might be interested in listening to the podcast. And... You'll be able to even find that just by typing in Clay or Buck, which is a good sign about the growth of the show and also probably a sign that there aren't a lot of other Clays and Bucks out there with podcasts. Um, we got a lot of parents who want to weigh in about the idea of mandatory vaccinations for school-age children 5 to 11, which is what Dr. Scott Gottlieb said he expects to potentially be permissible. Again, if you want to go get your kid vaccinated for COVID, I think you should be able to do that. But the idea of what Gavin Newsom is doing in California and what I believe many other governors are going to do as well and try to mandate all school children get this is a major red flag and a big no for me as a parent of a 6-year-old and an 11-year-old. My kids are not getting vaccinated for COVID. I think they probably already had it because both my wife and I have had COVID. We haven't gotten them antibody tested. But we know they're at virtually no risk from COVID, and it makes no sense to put this vaccine in their body, in my opinion. But some of you may disagree. Some of you may agree. Let's go to Danielle first up on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. Hello. Um, I just wanted to say that my message is very simple. We will not comply. And that is precisely the opposite of being a domestic terrorist. We're just not <laughs> Amen. You know, we're withdrawing consent, right? We're just taking the consent away. That has nothing to do with violence. Thank you. Danielle, where do you live? What state? I live in California. I'm in San Diego Unified School District. And, Daniel, can I ask you, uh, my understanding is that the, first of all, Newsom said there'll be a mandate for children to get vaccinated for next 
fall. The vaccine hasn't even been approved for children yet, but that's for the 12 up age group, I guess. But I'm sure he'll expand that. Where do teachers fall into this? Are they finally now forced to get the shot or lose their jobs or have they still been stalling? Well, it's interesting. They actually are under the mandate. However, they are allowed religious exemptions where our children Ah. basically are not. Right. That's interesting. Thank you for the call. I mean, I think it's going to be a major challenge. And I told you, Buck, that my phone started ringing as soon as this mandate was announced. It's almost like a big plot by the Tennessee and Texas, uh, you know, I don't know. It's not the tourism board, the come live here board. Whoever's in charge of that, whoever's it, like in charge it is of the best pitch they could have. Yeah, there's and no better the recruitment for moving to a red state than. Get- All right. Yeah. So, and that was uh, in 2021, and to right now, um, children still of any age are not um, denied education because of that, um, because of not having a COVID shot. We, I think, stopped it. And so when I say the Constitution, you know, um, it has to be honored, what, what, what happens? There are provisions in the Constitution when it gets, um, you know, when it's not um, constitutional, the things that they do. And, and what we must do is leave the system. They broke their contract, right? I'm not talking about violence of any kind of, like I said, I'm talking about withdrawing consent from a system that does not represent our constitution. That is what we must do is turn our backs on it in every way, shape or form. Right. And so that's really what my show is all about is, you know, it's called seeds of change for a reason is because we have to start withdrawing consent, taking back these resources in a non hostile way, um, planting food, starting with food, news, and health. I plant food all over the side of the road and in my property. Um, I have a weekly podcast where I tell people what's real, and I believe that health will follow after that, right? That's what we have to do. We can, I, I honestly, um, and please change my mind, but I honestly don't think that this system can be saved. But what I do think what I do think is that people, humanity, will rise and feed each other, make sure that we have what we need to survive, you know, proper nutrition, you know, proper housing, uh, you know, air that's not polluted. As soon as we withdraw consent from the biggest killing machine in the history of mankind, the sooner that we win. And that's what I'm saying. I I guess I'll, I'll stop there. Is our caller well, still with us? You know, the federal government gets its powers from the states, but now it's backwards. Everybody looks to the federal government for everything. If that's the case, why do you vote local and state? And you see what goes on. So until people – see, the biggest thing that has happened to the population is that they are not educated. They don't know. And when they become adults, they behave in a hazardous way. I'm sorry. That's, I mean, that's just the way it is. Well, I was thinking that. We were talking time. That's right. And I, I, I want you to stay with us. Let, let, me run this by, let me run this by you guys. I have an idea for a constitutional amendment. One involves uh, term limits, which is a scheme that, uh, well, that I won't talk about right now, but will basically make membership service in office a transient 
uh, experience as opposed to a long or lifelong experience. Yeah, as so it that should be. Who, so, so that the people who are, so that those who hold office will, so, so right now what happens is there are people who hold office for decades uh, and it's just sort of their career, it's their life. And so there are sort of, that's its own little class. And so that whatever happens to like the citizens, although these people are still citizens, but there's like the ruled and the rulers, right? So whatever actually happens to the ruled, the rulers don't really feel that invested in because it doesn't happen to them. They never go back to being the ruled. Uh, so it would, tra- it would create a transient, uh, make that a transient experience. But this is what I wanted to hear about your, your thoughts on. What if I told you I was going to make a constitutional amendment that was going to go a long way towards fixing a lot of these problems, which is there are three legitimate functions of the state, the state meaning the federal government, uh, the government. Uh, One is to establish and defend borders. Two is to coin and regulate money, currency. Three is to uh, mediate disputes, that is, provide courtrooms and judges, et cetera. Those are the three legitimate functions of the state. We're going to create a constitutional amendment limiting total government spending, federal, state, and municipal combined, to no greater than 10% of the prior year's GDP. And I I will tell you all that, and this is part of my forthcoming book, Socialism, the Gift That Keeps on Taking, going backwards, those three forms, assuming that they're not lying about the military budget, which they might be, but if they're not they lying, definitely are. The reported, the reported budget that they give us, right, meets those criteria except for periods of great war. So that it, all that would do is basically make illegal all these sham charities that they have going uh, that don't actually benefit people. Uh, and they would basically disband all these massive bureaus telling people what they can and cannot do. It would, of course, drastically reduce overall taxation, giving people more of their own money to keep and do with it what they will. You're still allowed to donate to, pro- to, cha- to charity privately. People do it today, even with how heavily taxed we are. And by the way, the United States, our ta- citizens, are taxed at approximately 45-ish percent of GDP. Uh, which is almost slavery, right? Like what, what's the working definition of slavery? 51% is, is sort of the, the, the dividing line of, you know, if I take 51% of what you make, uh, you are now, it's, it's what we, it's the working definition of slavery today. So the, the populace is almost enslaved to the state. How do you like that amendment idea for 10, 10% just making the three legitimate functions of the state limit the total spending to 10% of the prior year's GDP under penalty of treason. That is penalty of debt. Treason. If you spend more than this, well, we sorry, well, we quiet for the most of the hour. I, I wanted to bring up a point here. So well, I'll give the example that Russia gives. If you buy something in Russia, your, your tax, your value-added tax is 15%. That's the only tax you're going to have. There's no state tax. There's no sales tax. There's no income tax. You're paying 15% on whatever goods you're purchasing at that time. And I don't know if food qualifies or not. Food might be a freebie. But you add California with a state tax. If I remember right, Danielle, it's over 19%. 
California state itself, if the federal tax was zero, charges more than what Russia charges for, for its all, all citizens. Can't argue with that. I mean, there are highly taxation reports, but like for example, in China, uh, the Maoists, the Mao time in China, they like to boast of no of zero income tax. However, they confiscated everything, uh, everything that people made was all state property, so that there was any sense. A one hundred percent income tax. Um, but uh, I mean, the, the fact that we're highly taxed here is definitely not lost on us. What do you think of? of I'll ask the caller first. Would you be in favor of the constitutional amendment that I just posited about the spending limit of 10% of the prior year's GDP for total spending? Have you heard of the Convention of States? Convention of States started yes. this present 10 years ago, and they here the other day with a 10-year anniversary. They've been working to get three, uh, two-thirds of the states, 34 to pass at the state legislature, sign on to the proposal. Presently, 19 have. We need 34. Then we call a convention. Now, Congress calls the convention. The Constitution says, Article 5 says, they shall cause a call a convention. And the federal government, the president, the courts have nothing to do with it. That's the state's. The states have proposals. They go in on three. Right now, they got three main proposals, term limits, uh, overreach of the federal government, and a, a, a budget, to a budget. They just had a similar, uh, simulated convention here last week, and I wish you could still probably catch it on YouTube. But that is the way you go about doing it. Okay, you can't all right. pass well, the Constitution. You can't cast, you can't pass a constitutional amendment to con- to impose things on the states. The states okay. control it's all the way around. The states have the ability by way of amendment uh, article amendment ten to anything that's not delegated to the federal government, then the states themselves takes it over. The states and the people. That's right. The states don't have it, then it's just it's up to the, the people. people. Ultimately, it's the people. Then it gets back to the old cliche is that your people aren't educated. Federal government has no business in education. It has no business in health. No, so are you whatsoever. saying that the Department of Education is illegal? Because I believe it is, too. Because you, the people let it. They let it rule their lives. Yeah. These, these, uh, these, these bureaus, the FBI, IRS, they make laws that you uh, live under by way of rules that's created by the head of those agencies. Well, unless those laws are against the Constitution, which most of these laws and, um, you know, bureaus are against the Constitution. And so that's why, right, you know, like my ultimate point is that there there's strength in numbers. And if enough people real get a pocket constitution you know that my eighth grader learns you know that says your congressperson can give you those free all you got to do is ask them and here's another thing yeah i know i ran for congress though i don't know i ran against that how they completely out of control 
The FBI has no business coming to you who live in Illinois knocking on your door asking you, Jack. They're supposed to check in with the sheriff. The sheriff is elected, and he has territorial jurisdiction over the area where you live. They're not supposed to be come walking into your in your house, in your neighborhood, not the IRS. Who knows? Who knows? Let's talk about ignorant people. Uh, not, and I'm not calling somebody ignorant if they don't happen to know the answer to this particular question. But one way to cure ignorance is education. Education is just access to information, right? Curing of ignorance. No, uh, but not what it curing, comes, Not what? Not how uh, the Department of Education defines it. Well, I'm saying in real life, with real, like okay. the actual meaning of the word. Okay. Uh, Ignorance is means ignorant. Ignorance means the person is just simply doesn't know. They don't have access. They they've never been confronted with it or familiarized with it before. That's what yeah. ignorance means. And so the cure to ignorance is of course education. Education being just access to information. Uh, so the assault on the Constitution occurred during Roosevelt's second term. Frank Roosevelt's second term he enacted his court packing scheme. He, he started his second inaugural address with this big speech about he wanted to make a, a power greater than had ever been known in, before in the world, uh, an instrument so great of a collective power. And then he went out and he, 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 he went on this court packing scheme where he said he was basically going to replace all the, um, the Supreme Court justices who kept striking down all of his unconstitutional stuff during his first term. When that happened, the, basically those people more or less relented. And so we did not get an expanded court, but what we did get was a trampling of the Constitution. And what happened was these people got these, these unconstitutional measures now, be, now had a legal precedent. And from there, they were sort of metastasized over a couple of decades into the great okay, failure of social What does the Constitution do. say that we have to do when that situation happens? What well, is the kind of overturn that tyranny? And what he's saying yeah. is right. The, the second Constitution, we have two Constitutions. We have the original and we have one that's called legal president that's created by these judges and also these bureaucrats who none of their rules, none of the, only about 4% of the laws you live on today was voted on by Congress. Congress has the sole authority of making laws. Your state legislature, they have the sole authority of making laws. Unless not no bureaucrats. it violates the Constitution. Any law that violates the Constitution has to be ignored. Or unenforceable. But here's the problem in real life. And I was going to ask you this question about when you say noncompliance. I mean, in real life, with real people and real money, what's actually going to happen is they're going to arrest you. And they're going to throw you in prison. And nobody's going to, nobody's going to hear about you again except your mother, basically. And no one's going to give a damn. And you're going to go away. I mean, this is the reality of what's going to happen. Like, what happens if I don't do it? That's what they did to these people, by the way. They're withdrawing consent is different. So what do you say withdrawing consent? Like you're going to stop paying taxes altogether? Well, I'm going to find a way around paying taxes. Also, um, the system is more than just, uh, you know, these, these very finite laws. If we're ever going to um, withdraw consent as the majority, what we have to do is plant food everywhere, you know, when we're talking about, oh, who owns the property? Who owns, especially when it comes to local, right? Who owns that city, you know, or that um, 
uh, a little strip of land out in front of your house? Is it you or is it the city or is it the same thing? So I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that anyone um, is violent. That they wrote, they literally wrote the book on how to take down violence in any way. But what I'm saying is you take your energy and you create, you grow, you, you know, you plant food everywhere, you get chickens, you withdraw consent in any way that you know how to, to withdraw consent. If you can take your, you know, my, like one of the things that I, okay, the main thing that I do is I plant food everywhere in my properties. You have the ability, you have the ability to do all those things. So do you. But, but the thing, well, everybody do that wants yes. to do it. Now, what I'm telling you is that there's a time to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'll tell you something else. As far as the Second Amendment is concerned, everybody that can should be wearing a weapon. Yes, I've got they a gun. They should wear their weapon. And send a message, yep. especially women. Yes. So yes. I'll move the other way. One of the reasons I moved to West Virginia was was because of this constitutional carry, as it should be. I mean, can you imagine? So we were just talking about states' rights before, uh, and, I, and states' rights are very important, extremely important. Strong states' rights are very important. I'm all for it. Um, you need to have a very minimal federal government. I just said the three legitimate functions of God, of the state. Uh, and what I want to limit them to and my, my strategy for limiting them to that, um, which does have a couple of loopholes, which I do admit. But the, um, uh, the question, so here's, here's an interesting question. Should the state have the right to override the Constitution? My answer no. is no. The state's right no, the state the quote, state, to, to the make state it. Make are allowed to, right to, to, to I'm, I'm sorry, I'll let you answer. I just want to finish this real quick. Finish okay. my question to make it really clear what I'm asking. So states' rights, strong, good. Second Amendment of the Constitution states uh, expressly that you know the, the right shall not be infringed to to have and bear arms. Correct. The state, the state, strong states' rights go up to the cap of like like the caller said. The Constitution's on all the time. The Constitution is the roadblock. You don't have the right to go against the Constitution, and so therefore. It is so that every law, every state who has a law restricting your right to carry a, that says you must be licensed to carry a firearm is unconstitutional. Correct. I, and, and I'll ask the caller this. Danielle suggested noncompliance. Would you recommend going to some state where they have a very strict, you must be licensed to carry a firearm law and not complying with that law? Um, if as you had... I live in San Diego. I live in California. So I think I – go ahead, caller. You live – like Illinois, for instance. Yes. People should wear their weapon. Your creator, God, gave you the right to defend yourself. That's an inalienable right that was given to you by your creator. Nothing can supersede that. Amen. When you go to the judge and they throw you in prison – I mean, would you regret your decision? Okay, may I, may I just answer this real quick? Because here's the thing. Sure. If, if I have a gun on, let's say that I'm completely illegal, but we, we are licensed in this house, in this home, and we follow, uh, con- you know, my husband has a concealed carry license, um, and we have firearms in our home. I live in San Diego proper. 
right? This is one of, this is like a Chicago and New York, right? Um, so if, let's say that I did not, hypothetically, I did not have a, a license to carry this, this weapon, right? And, and I walked out with a concealed carry weapon and I, um, and I approached, you know, somebody who was hostile and they pull out a gun and I, you know, say, look, I've got a firearm. I will shoot you if you approach and they approach and I shoot them. I would much rather, even in the state of California, face a judge uh, alive than be in the ground. You know, like that's one of those, th- one of those things that's like uh, live, what is it, New Hampshire, um, live free or die. You know, I, I will protect myself and my property and my children. I, I will do that and I will face the consequences. Um, before you had the license, right, when you applied for the license, did you mm-hmm. already have a firearm even though yeah. you were on license? Yeah. And did you carry it with you? No. Okay. So you, you do confess to some pragmatism here, right? Like you do realize the, the awesome power of these Ill, illegal moves, which is fine. Um, and I'm glad to hear you say that because it, yeah. it's just the way it is. So it, 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 it's sensible. It is sensible. When they do these illegal things, it's easy to say, uh, you know, don't comply. Okay. But then there's the yeah. practical reality. You know but for I mean? instance, it, we went to okay, so before my husband got a concealed carry, we went camping for my birthday. You know, we carried our gun uh, um, according to the laws, you know, bullets separate in a case, you know, uh, away from where the children could reach any kind of keys, all of those things. But you know what? If if I felt threatened while I was camping, I would have that gun. I would have, have access to all the also my children who are teenagers have had gun safety training. As a matter of fact, I think that every child uh, should have gun safety training, you know? Um, so, but, but in that situation, if somebody came up to us while we were camping, um, we had access to everything that we needed to protect ourselves. You know, um, that's what I'm saying is that I, you know, even though, you know, I, I may have had to, to, you know, in that situation, put bullets in a gun if I heard rustling in a bush, uh, that would have been illegal. I would have explained that to a judge. I broke the law right there, according to California's insane gun rules. And I might add that the First Amendment is freedom of speech. And when the freedom of speech breaks down, the Second Amendment is right there to follow. Well, you're absolutely right. When I go camping, I have mine in a holster right out there where it's on my hill. Precisely. That's the way to do it. I mean, like when I lived in New York State, so I grew up in New York State, Buffalo, New York uh, area, where it snows six months a year, which is awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's these horrible laws. It's very difficult to get a gun. You have to, although they just changed that law recently. Uh, recently, meaning within the last like year. Absolutely, uh, and so amen to the justice system, at least for that. California, same thing. They, well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad they did change that law some, so you could you can get it. It's easier now to get a handgun. Before you had to, in order to have a handgun and a permit to to have it, it took one year. It was the fastest. Now, if you if you like didn't dot an I or cross a T correctly on your form, 
then you would find out at some point during that year, maybe even at the end of that one year, at which point you would resubmit your form and start your one-year waiting period anew. Uh, it was, it was just a, and you had to prove, you had to prove to them that they had like a board uh, that you had some reason that you specifically were in danger. In other words, it wasn't just good enough that it was your right to carry a firearm. And uh-huh. you know, hey, listen, moron. Hey, listen, moron. Uh, every I don't I don't get the memo when some some jerks says they're to come rob my house today. They they, they don't tell me. I, I don't know in advance. Specifically, well, that got the law overturned. That point right there is specifically what got this overturned because, hey, man, I don't need to give you a reason. Like, I live in San Diego. Um, we pay an ex- ridiculous $3,300 a month for a three-bedroom apartment here, and we literally, every day, we walk outside and we have to play the, is this dog shit or people shit game? My car gets broken into every time I leave it unlocked. You know what I mean? Like, we live in an area that, that these these uh, laws need uh, we need them I don't you know I don't need to tell you why because because the stats um, speak for themselves what just happened in LA like a a Nordstrom just got robbed for a hundred thousand dollars so does Nordstrom have to have you know a reason to carry a gun or you know what I mean like where do these laws stop so go ahead well see here's the thing when they tell you that you got to have your, your ammunition in a separate box, that's infringement right there. Yes. That is infringement. You should, and see, what it is, it's just one you who's fighting this. It'd probably be just one you who's wearing your pistol on your hip. I would recommend for females to have a pistol on her hip, to have a stack barrel derringer in her bra, 410 on the top, 9 millimeter on the bottom, and a about a six-inch hairpin in their hair. That's what you, as a female, especially a white female, needs today. They are just killing you. I agree. I agree. And I will, you know what? I've got dog. I've got property. I've got dogs. I've got guns. And I've got Jesus. You know, I, I will do what I need to do to protect my family if I am attacked. So withdrawing consent is different. Withdrawing consent is is turning away from the system as a whole. But that doesn't mean that if I'm attacked, that I will not defend myself and my property and my children. Um, And and I will, I would rather, um, what is it? What do they call it? Uh, Face a jury of 12 than have six people hold me up into my grave. You know what I mean? I agree agree with you. I agree with you. And these judges, you got to get rid of these circuit judges, these state Vote their butts out. Federal judges are not there for life. According to the Constitution, they're there on account of good behavior. And you determine what the good behavior get their butts out of office. I agree. Yep. That's right. Uh, sir, uh, you're calling from, from Louisiana. Have you been, have, are you from Louisiana? Did you move to Louisiana? Uh, is that, no, I moved. Is that from, my grandson, my grandson attended school uh, college here, and, and I moved down here uh, to be with him. <clears throat> you know, he 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 wasn't quite old enough to be by himself, so he needed guidance. So he's doing very well that's now, good. though. That's good of you. Oh, Where are you from? Yeah, but these Where things you... we have to do. I tell you what, we're beyond the two-minute warning. If you want to relate that to something in sports, we're beyond the two-minute warning. Mm-hmm. And me, myself, I'm working as a volunteer for the Convention of States. 
Louisiana legislature approved the proposals, and they are signed on. But state legislatures are there for only a given amount of time. So you have to constantly stay on it. And then we have to get out to these other states that have not signed the proposal. But also another thing, COS have two wings. It has a C3, 501C3, and it has a 501C4. The C4 is the action, and that's where they lobby the legislatures and they push proposals and they get that information out to their members either by text, email blast, or SMS. And they let the members know what's going on. Like recently, they the legislature passed a bill that will forbid the gender reassignment or any of those puberty blocking drugs to kids under 18. Now, the Democratic uh, governor, he vetoed it. But the legislature came in and overrode the veto. One of the reasons why is because members of COS were vigilant in contacting the legislature in whatever way that was available, and it put something on their mind. So those are things we have to do. I mean, we got to work hard. It's, it's sad that people in their retirement years cannot be living out their retirement. But the way things are now, we got to do something. We have to do something. Does, does your project have a website or a phone number or anything that people can, can, can go to? It's, const, it's uh, conventionofstate.org.com, and you can go there and sign the petition. When you sign the petition, then somebody will get a hold of you and inform you about the other things that you can do. There's provisions there for uh, Convention of State University where it talks to you about Article 5 and how it came about and what the founders were thinking about when they put it in there. And I'm going to tell you something else. United States is a godsend because if you look at the history, and this is something that kids should be taught. Your youngest kids should be taught this. We came upon forks in the road. If we had to turn the other way rather than the way we went, we may not have been here talking today. And you have had some godsend individuals. The last one I think is Donald Trump. It's just like when John the Baptist was in the river baptizing. And he basically told you, he told the people, I baptize you with water, or one would come after me that would baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And I think it has gotten down to that myself. I really do. Because the things that I am witnessing, 40 years ago, you could not even convince me that we would be seeing the things that we see today. And, if, and, the, and the thing that you let you know something's going on, because the attacks are coming from all over the place. And one thing that they're concentrating on is your kids. They are after your kids. I just want to prior to this with um, uh, my co-host, and we had a guest on, uh, Russ Tanner, who was talking about, he's a, tra- he's a chemtrails um, expert, I guess is what you call it. Um, and so we were talking about in one, of, one of the motivations he thinks for these chemicals that they're dropping all over the place Although not on the Bush, uh, I found an article with an interview with some people, and the Bush family ranch in Texas, in West Texas, that area is always notably absent of these chemical drops, which is another piece of evidence that it's sort of uh, 
the club is doing it, you know. But um, the uh, this thing with the whole, you know, so kids, so they're they're making people dumb. They're they're making people. Uh, they're just evidence is not uh, the key, right? You're quote educated person who disregards evidence at every turn. Uh, reacts to evidence and truth the way that oil reacts to water. And then they have this whole sex change thing going on, uh, particularly targeting young people. Do you and now now Russ Tanner posited that. People, that there's a um, uh, perversion of reality occurring in which the United States, instead of being held up as the great template of what to do for the people, is now going to be perverted into freedom's bad. Look what these people did. They were free, and then they chose to do bad things. For example, this whole sex change operation thing. If they can convince a decent amount of people to voluntarily basically have themselves sterilized, Right, have the male have their genitals removed, the women have their their you know organs uh, extracted, uh, willfully you know when they're too young to really know what they're doing. This is this seems to me like a deliberate sterilization attempt. And all look, they were free and they had the freedom and they chose to uh, they chose wrong. They chose to sterilize themselves. Do you suspect? Does anybody involved anybody out any any of the three of you suspect? that this whole thing is, is part of a sterilization uh, attempt. For sure. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and which is in the Bible. It's that this is, we, we are living in the end times. And, you know, the Bible does say that no man shall know the time or the, or the day or the hour. Right. But, um, but one thing I do know is that um, I read the end of the book and we win, you know, so there's a lot of really scary things that we need to be aware of. Um, but in, at the end, you know, how, how do we win? Um, through the collective, you know, through withdrawing consent from evil systems. I'm not saying the constitution is evil, but I do believe that, that the, um, the powers that took it over are using it for nefarious reasons um, to abuse our children um, as a there's there's only a couple things in this world that I believe myself to be an expert on and and pedogate is is one of them and uh, pedogate for those who don't know is the sexual abuse of children and the systematic cover-up that follows now that's the extreme but the but indoctrinating our children through public education you know, is one um, major thing that, that we can withdraw consent for now. I did it with my children a little, a little late, in my opinion, but my children are thriving now um, out of the, this um, indoctrination uh, camp. And, and um, you know, like I said, taking back resources, starting with food, news, and health. I live in San Diego. It's, lit, you know, like no pun intended, or actually pun intended, low-hanging fruit. We can grow food everywhere. We can feed our people. Um, and I just encourage everyone to break the cycle of indoctrination and take back information and food. And, and from there, we'll take back health. So, all right, you know, did you, did you move your kids from the public school system through homeschooling or through private school? Um, through charter schools. But it's but, a, but it's a... 
let me toss this at you. How does anybody? How does everybody feel about what I have felt for a long time? What seems obvious for a long time, which is, if if a person, so let's just say that the school tax was designed, and we do have laws in place, uh, as far as I know, in every state, saying that whoever is responsible for the minor person, that is the person who's 18 or under, must see to it that they get some education um under some truancy penalties or, or, or child abuse or whatever uh various penalties mm-hmm. if you if you if you can show a stub that you bought you know you bought you put your kids at a charter school a private school um or homeschool uh should ought you to be exempt from having to pay your school tax that is should mm-hmm. you be forced double pay should you have to pay for two education for one child because you don't like what they want you to do in the public the government school? Well, I can answer that. I'm a strong proponent of school choice and the money follows the child. And that's determined by the parent. Now, your local school district, you know who controls that. You do. Not yes, the board. Do. You do. You, the parent. You, the parent, control the curriculum, the textbooks, and the instructional materials. Those are your children. But what happens today is just the other way around. Those are your kids. You determine what the education is. You want to have trade schools. You want to learn about plump. That's your responsibility. And right now you got these school boards, and then you got an offshoot of school boards, these librarians. See, librarians are saying that, if a child wants to identify as a opposite sex than what they are, that's their free. Well, that is not true. A child has free speech through the parent. It has to go through the parent. You can't walk up to a child and start communicating. You have to go through the parent. And now it's not done like that today. Okay, so let me tell you you what down. My my daughter um, was asked to be part of a panel a few weeks ago, a an unschooling, um, homeschooled, charter school, alternative school panel panel of fourteen and up, right? Um, and there were about six children, and I'm I'm watching this, and it it was put on by um, a a fairly famous, but I'm not going to name names, um, child psychologist, right? So. Um, one of the questions I'm watching, one of the questions was, um, how do you identify? What, or what do you identify as? You know? And I cringed. I'm like, oh, you know, my, my children know different, right? But there's a whole, there's half a dozen children here. And so my daughter raises her hand first and she goes, I identify as a leader. And my, you know, my heart just melted. And then all of the children after that who are part of this alternative education strategy says, I identify, not one of them identified as what was between their legs, you know, and that really made, warmed my heart. I really do believe that, that we have a generation of, of children coming up that, um, that will fix this generational curse. And, um, and I'm, and I'm happy that, you know, my children get to be pioneers in this, 
you know, I really do have faith in this. And like I said, I read the end of the book and I know we win and I see these, this generation of leaders coming up and I know that, you know, what is coming is so much better than what we have right now. We are the change. We are changing humanity and our children will be the, you know, are, are the product of it. Are you aware well, of this right. as, a, as a giraffe? I'm sorry, I just wanted to, to say that this has been ratified by the Supreme Court of the United States. This, this is something, this is an ugly truth. I'm not sure if you know about this or, or if you don't, but this, this whole identify as, as, as a giraffe or whatever the hell I want, you know, nonsense um, uh, thing has been upheld, upheld. It went before the Supreme Court of the United States and was upheld. That is, the, the test, the, the case was about a workplace. So that is, if uh, if I'm uh, the manager of a bank, we'll say, and somebody comes in to me to do a job interview with me on Friday, and they're telling me their name is Bob, and they have you know wear pants, and they seem fine, and they're going to be a person who's going to be a teller who's actually going to interact with the public, and then they come into work on Monday after I hire them, tell me their name's Nancy and wearing a dress. I can't say, hey, Bob, uh, Halloween came a little bit early this year, huh? Why don't you go in the back and talk about it real quick so, so you'll scare away all the customers. Uh, you can't do that. I'm the one who's wrong if I say that to him. That is, that well, is alarming. You talk, in your example, you're talking about adults, but before that we're talking about kids, children, children. under 18 mm-hmm. years of age. And another bill they had in Louisiana where no – School personnel can ref- ask that question like they ask your daughter. They cannot ask that question. It's le- illegal to do so. And those are things you got to put in place. The key thing is this. They are your children. And the responsibility, the God-given responsibility, the parentage is, lies within your hands. You determine what's safe for your child to hear, see, smell, touch. Nobody else does that. It's not their responsibility. Amen. And the courts have, and the courts can make those, hear those arguments, and make a decision. But nobody has to to, to abide by it. In the example that you gave, courts don't make laws. Courts do not make laws. They hear arguments between two or more parties, and they make a decision. Yeah. And well, people don't have to follow it if they don't want to. Hold on one second. The Supreme Court of the United States is a different court, and that is a court which has the, does not make laws or is not to make laws, but that can strike down bad laws, unconstitutional laws, laws that, for example, that law – clearly violates, again, the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment. I agree. I agree with you. But what about Roe versus Wade? Wasn't that, you know, Wade, wasn't that the Supreme Court's decision to to, to federalize abortions? Like, wasn't... They I mean, had no that business doing it. Yeah, and then the Dobbs decision, decision reversed that. That is true, yes. Um, yes, that's right. But that was so how many how many decades of of constitutional law was violated by that bad decision? Well, that's because it's people let it go on. And you see, that should be left up with the state. They have Precisely. no business 
and same-sex marriage is not their avenue either. That should be well, left same up. Same-sex marriage, marriage, in my opinion, has to do with um, with the the uh, with taxes. Honestly, like you know, you can you can have private law. Public versus private law is something that everybody should get out of public law as much as they can. I have an estate in California, and the only reason that way I have an estate in California is because of private law. Public law would have taxed us out of out of oblivion, you know, 20 years ago. But you know, we we are under private law, and that's why this, you know, many many generations of women have been able to to own property, residential agricultural property less than, you know, two miles away from the beach in San Diego, right? And we get originally original property tax. That's the difference between public and private law. But but what's going on with the, the Roe versus Wade was a complete overreach. Uh, uh, um, well, I tell you another law. one that was an overreach. Loving versus Virginia. Was, it was a decision on interracial. Supreme Court had no business messing with it. You know, marriage, for, for for as long as I can ever remember, was sanctified by the church, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, well, the problem is, with but... so let's, let's discuss that. So now we're discussing, really, does the state have the authority to have anything to do with a marriage and whether or not it's, you know, uh, legitimate or illegitimate? And I'm answer, so I, my, my, my new jerk, I mean, the one answer should be no, it's none of their business. However, when you have laws, like when, you, when a person is married, when a couple are married, there are laws, for example, custody of the children, say over what does or does not happen with, with minor dependent children, including visitation rights. Uh, you also have an important, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's uh, income tax law difference, uh, whether you're married or not. So, I mean, yes, at that point, once law, once marriage becomes a legal thing with legal consequences and legal, the woman, usually the woman, has a license to steal from the man in the event, it, through use of the court, in the event that they break up after the marriage. Oh, okay, but we're not talking yeah. yet. Okay, so, so, so now, marriage is separation, so that, though. So that when marriage has legal ramifications, then yes, it is a matter of law. It, it, well, it is legal, a, it's legal it's because you, you're in contract with that female or the male. That's, that's what happened. And, of yeah. course, the whereabouts of the, the West, the, the, you go to court when it comes down to the children. The well-being of the child, the courts can look at that because the child is a, is a citizen of the state and a citizen of the United States. So they are afforded those protections. Yeah, yes. All right. But, but let's, okay, so what, what I would like to do is talk about marriage and separate divorce, right? So you're saying, so you're married you're, uh, and you, you're legally married and then there's a, a child that comes from that union and then there's a divorce, right? And we know that right now 50% of marriages end in divorce. But, um, you know, but, but really what we're talking about is what about if two, two men want to get married uh, or two women want to get married? You know, that's really like the nuts and bolts um, of the, the marriage contract. Let's say that two, two men who never have sexual relations, are we really defining marriage as, uh, you know, two people having sexual relations? Why, 
why would the government need to get involved in that? What if we just have two people who want to get married um, and, and live, in, live together in companionship and own property together? You know what I mean? Like, that's why the law needs to really stay out of it, in my opinion. Well, I'm not even prepared to talk about that, really. So I'm going to sit here on the side. I have my opinions. I have, I could answer your question, but I'm for the sake of time, and that I'm not going to do it. Yeah, it's it's a really complex situation, and that's why, in my you know, in my opinion, the government should stay out of it. I could have a biblical uh, conversation with you, but we also have a, a separation of church and state. Right. And that came from the, you know, uh, let's say back in history. Um, I'm sure Paul can can agree with this. But back in, in England, you know, uh, starting, you know, early on, there's Catholics and, and they were the, the uh, anointed people and Protestants got burnt at the state stake. And then, you know, another king or queen came in and they were Protestant and Catholics got burnt at the stake. Right. So in creating the Constitution, a big part of it was separation of church and state. And it's not because they, they wanted well, to, you know, keep, I'm sorry, I'm almost done, but not only, not because they wanted to keep re- religion out of the constitution, but persecution out of the constitution. Go ahead. Well, the constitution doesn't mention anything about separation of Church and state. What it says is that you can't respect a state-owned, operated religion. That's what it says. You can have any religion you want. You can have Buddhism. You can have Muslims. You can have House of right. Satan. Whatever exactly. you want. But, but you can't the persecute. State, the state can't persecute you based on right. Religion. The government cannot start a religion that you have to respect, and that's what it was all about. Right. Well, so let's, so, let's, so let's deal with this issue. This is fascinating. This is a fascinating question. So we have, yes, it is true. So and that, that is right. Our caller, what's your name, sir, by the way? Uh, my name is Pianchi, P-I-A-N-K-I. Pianchi. Okay, great. I, I don't want to keep referring to you as the caller. Uh, Pianchi, and you've been wonderful, wonderful company here. Uh, great caller. Uh so you're right. You are right that it, it is clear that, or does state that the, that the state, the government, shall not institute a religion. And yes, the new world became populated largely because of of un un, un uh, what's the word unpopular uh, religious followers uh, in Europe, particularly England, and through people who are just sort of uh, not wanted, like the bums on the street who are who are defecating in front of Daniel's house, were sort of just ex, ex you know sort of uh, dumped off over to the new world and that's how a lot of people came here the quakers came here that way the protestants came here that way sort of fleeing fleeing a place where there was a state religion and they were persecuted uh for not being not complying not conforming with it uh, that is true but so you have a situation in which yes the state shall not say that this you know whatever it is is a state religion and those who don't follow uh shall be punished legally However, you also have a situation in which rule of the people, by the people, and for the people means that that's going to reflect whatever religion, religions, or no religion, the people at any given time do possess and is popular with them. So now we get into a bit of a tricky area where, so if we have legislation and laws and regulations or whatever you want to call them that reflect 
say, the Christian religion, because they're the mostly Christian people, that's not really the same as not separating church and state. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't, they get that wrong. They get, the, they get mixed up about that. So in other words, if, if when Clarence Thomas writes, writes a majority opinion to the Supreme Court on the abortion issue and mentions Christianity, it's not the government enforcing it. He's stating that there is a largely there is a large proportion of Christian people. There are a large proportion of Christian people in this populace, and as such, the laws of the the land by those people and for those people should reflect that. It just makes sense. I think well, that's an I important think distinction. Just really quick, but I'm I'm pretty okay. So educate me if I'm wrong, please. You know, I'm I I'm humble to the truth, but in my opinion. Um, this Roe versus Wade really like the ultimate thing has to do with body autonomy, right? Like when, you know, a a woman is pregnant and they, you know, uh, they want rights to their own body. Where does the babies, the infants, the, or the fetuses rights stop and start? Right. And and so and when we, we go the other way on the other end of the of the argument, it's, you know, life ends when the heart stops beating like you can have somebody on, you know, who's brain dead, you know, for, you know, 15, 20 years or whatever and, and say, well, this person is still alive because their heart is still beating. So when we're talking about law, you know, precedence, you know, wouldn't it? you know, and body autonomy, you know, although I really do think that, that the um, courts overreach, I think in that situation where we're really um, examining body autonomy versus women's rights. I mean, thoughts on that? Well, that's a very different, that's a very different uh, issue from what, we were, what I was saying before, but that's all right. So I think the real question on abortion is this, uh, or the real issue is, at what point, and that's why this should absolutely be left up to the state, as most things should, because there is no correct or incorrect answer. It's truly a measure of the people sort of as a whole, the meeting part of the curve, right? At what point are the people going to want to protect human life? You can never, ever, ever, ever protect all human life. That can never happen. Every time that you scratch your head, you kill, you kill skin cells. Every time you bump your head on something, you kill brain cells. Like human life is being killed. You cannot be arresting somebody for murder mm-hmm. just because they're bumping That's somebody else. No, it's correct. So, so you, cannot, you cannot protect all human life. There was a, no, a we're talking about body autonomy. There's a point at which, there's a, well, because you're saying at what point is it, uh, so the woman who is pregnant with the fetus, at what point is like, the woman's decision to do whatever she will with the fetus, and at what point does the fetus have its own right? And so what right. I'm saying, what I'm pointing out is, the question is, at what point are you going to protect human life? So I already began with, you cannot, you obviously cannot protect all human life at all costs, because every, every single time, of the single cell of human life is killed through normal everyday not you know means that are fine. Well, that's uh, why, that's why I started with death, right? And, and, and the, the cause of you know and time so, of death is calculated as when the heartbeat stops. Wouldn't it 
go to reason that it starts when there's a heart beat, right? So skin cells understood it is human life. But when there's a, a separate thing in your body that has a heartbeat, just like past, you know, like how we determine in society that a heart, you know, a life ends when a heart stops. That's what these heartbeat bills are kind of about, you know. So anyway, well, that's just my little amendment. So, so yeah, what, what you're suggesting is that maybe even in your opinion, personally, that at that point, so at what point do we do you want to protect human life? At what point well, is yeah, it? Well, yeah, when does bodily life? autonomy start? At what point does the fetus have, so, so the, the answer is at the point that, the, that there is a, sec, a separate person with its own rights, the person who is housing the other person, the woman, the pregnant woman, mm-hmm. at that point is, it has a right to her own body, but not to the second body. But the sure. question is, at what at what point does that happen? And right. That, and in California point, and New York, it says like up to thirty days afterwards. Amount, it's just a matter of opinion. There is no correct or incorrect answer. Right. Which again, to leave it decentralized up to the states, the strong states' rights lead to a great to a stronger nation, so that people can voluntarily segregate themselves. Into, into states right. that have laws that match what they would like to have. Okay, so in California, yeah, exactly I, right. we can legally kill a fetus up to 30, 30 days after it's born. Is that well, in okay New Mexico, with you? In New Mexico, you can uh, abort it even as the head is getting ready to protrude past sure. the vagina. Right, exactly. In New York and California, it's 30 day, it's legal to kill a baby. 30 days after it's born, you know, what, where do we stop here? When does this become a South Park episode? Well, that's just the point. You don't stop. But the thing that I like about it is that if you don't want to live under that Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't have to move someplace else. I mean, technically that's what you can do. You're not going to change California unless you have a massive movement. And you know what complicates things too? Because you got a lot of immigrants, especially illegals, who are coming into this country. They have no reference to constitutional rights. None no. where they're coming but from. They, don't believe they in have abortion. none whatsoever. That's right. So if abortion clinic reads baby murder factory to you, then instead of like, you know, threatening it or standing around holding cardboard signs or bombing it or engaging in domestic terrorism, just move to a different state. Where they have different laws, whereas if abortion clinic reads, uh, you know, a co- contraception place where a person freely chooses to meet with a physician who freely chooses to give a service for which I am paying for with my own money that I just consider to be a matter of birth control, then you can then live there, right? You don't have to blow the place up. Just voluntarily segregate yourself uh, sure. to a place where that has better laws that are more. So, so in other words. There is no correct or incorrect answer. It's not correct uh, in terms of at what point is, is it life, and which is all the more reason to not have a, a widespread sweeping federal law about it. The answer is it's a matter of opinion, which is why it should be left to the state. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Went- and also, no court should tell people that they have no business engaging in a woman that's about to have an abortion. you got some services out there that will provide 
uh, ultrasound, and I guess that other thing where you can see the baby in the womb moving, mm-hmm. they provide that free. I understand a court came out here not too long ago and said that people can't do that. Well, that's a lie. If you you have groups that go out on the streets and try to bring women in from prostitution, nobody says anything about that. No, I, I get you. But you know what what happens there in the, these kind of situations, there have been, um, uh, um, I guess, missions out there who bring um, prostitutes in and sterilize them. What if they find Jesus and they want to get married and have a baby and, and have a wholesome life and, and all of these things? Now they're sterilized. That's the thing is that, you know, we have to kind of, as Christians, we have to meet people where they are. Now, me, I, look, I was a, I was a lifelong liberal. Um, I, you know, had, had two children. I was totally pro-abortion. I almost had an abortion with my daughter, you know? Um, and so somebody who has come full circle with this, um, I can tell you, I went through Planned Parenthood in San Diego, California, Pacific Beach. I was never offered an abortion. I was never you know, pressured into an abortion. But, you know, there are some communities out there, and I believe that's where Planned Parenthood started, where they go into these um, minority communities and and they pressure people, undesirables, to have abortions. Like, that's kind of where I'm saying that um, when we have a government that is as corrupt as ours, going into minority neighbors, neighborhoods and pressuring minorities to have abortions and not pressuring majorities to have abortions. What, the, these are little tidbits that I've collected throughout my life, my children's lives. You know, I, I, I feel like I believe that these centers are, are to create um, something that the Supreme Court and the government would approve of. Um, why were there, you know, um, crack laws, you know, like the, the Joe Biden um, 90 crime bill, right, that, that disproportionately put um, darker skin minorities into jail and not his son, Hunter, who it's the same drug, with just, you know, uh, an additive, you know, why are there are why are there certain communities that are um, do you not realize that there are people who are not white who have power and money and the ability to have influence and can protect their children? I mean, people repeat that question. I said, do you not realize do you realize that there are people who are not white in this country? who have money and power and can influence uh, their children out of trouble. Yeah, you do, really. you're right. Look at Obama and what he done. Look at what uh, James Clyburn done in South Carolina. He brought Joe Biden to the black church. These people are evil. Of course. Obama, go, uh, I, I Obama think okay. was supporting. So, so maybe I said something that you guys are disagreeing with, but I, all, all of the statements that were the question and the statements that were just told, I – completely agree are the same problem. Evil has no respect. 
evil has no respect for skin color, has no respect for age, that has no respect I, for sex I was and, very and other things. Clear to not, well, we're not say skin I, color. I said majority and minority. And you know you it's talk about abortion. You know how many for not white. But go ahead, Bianca. And you know, black women since Roe decision in thirty to thirty five years out had had over twenty five million twenty five million abortions. That so is precisely my point, sir. Fifty per hour. That is my point, sir. Is that I I went into as a single mom in a very uh, you know like um, socioeconomic disparity. I'm not telling you my skin color. I'm sure you can you can guess, but I lived in a socioeconomic um, uh, uh, disparity. And in my neighborhood, I didn't. I was not pressured to have an abortion, but in other neighborhoods, I know there were. There were. I, you know, this is San Diego. We are a majority white here, you know. And that's. I, I really do try to uh, not bring up my skin color, um, but I am telling you that these programs are predatory towards minorities. So, sir, um, you are completely right, um, and I, I'm sorry if I did not um, uh, um, accurately present my point because that's what's going on: is that there is a um, a population control um, mechanism that's going on, and and, yeah. and that's what I'm talking about, and, and that is what this system, this this government has been infiltrated by. Um, how do we fix that? How do we make it equal? How, you know? Well, I, I as, far as, that, as far as that one topic is concerned, I think it should be left up to the states, quote, countries. States are sovereign countries. They just, because of the arrangements that they have, they call themselves states. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's the least thing that you can do. Uh, the jury... Integration is wrong, but de facto segregation is is fine because people do it on their own will. And it has to do more with the socioeconomic status than the color of a skin. Uh, am I right? Oh, no, no. Hold on. So, so, so one thing that, that amazes me is that when people, you see, genetically speaking, skin color happens genetically, right? So that people in the same family normally have the same skin color. And if your family and your cousins or whatever live nearby, a neighborhood or an area is going to have largely, it's not surprising that it turns into largely people with the same skin color because they're, they're relatives and they have cousins or whatever so that they might live in a similar area. Uh, it, it's not necessarily the, so in other words, it's a voluntary segregation. Mm. You know what I mean? They, it, it's so true. And I wonder, how do you reconcile this um, this observation that, that you seem to have made about uh, trying to discourage people who are not white from procreating with the, the, the great society in which they started this paid-to-fail socialism, particularly the paid-to-fail socialism that fosters illegitimacy, and it was sold by Lyndon Johnson as a Negro program. I mean, that, I mean that's, that's the, those are the words he used. That's how it was sold. The Negroes have a special disadvantage a century after slavery. 
a century afterwards. Black people were, I mean, white people were poor. Black people were poor, too. There are black people yeah. who are well-to-do, and there are white people who are right. well-to-do, too. They create this phantom out of thin air, uh, this, which the race industry thereafter sort of uh, in, uh, latched upon and has turned into this monstrosity that we see today. And they incur- Now, it was bad. It's bad for everybody because they get caught in the welfare trap. Mm-hmm, but this mm-hmm. encourages people. And they were sold to black people. It's it's for Negroes. They need special help. Telling them the more kids you have, the more money the state will pay you. And so that I mean, it's not necessarily. I I just don't see that the evidence um, verifies the uh, the assertion that you made about. So trying you don't to, believe in the eugenics, the um, Martha Martha was it Martha Singer Singer, uh, where where Planned Parenthood was made because of. A, you know, a disproportionate income, you know, for minorities, you don't, you, you think that it is the state um, promoting minorities to have children for financial gain? Is that, I'm, I'm trying to understand you. Well, I'm pointing, I'm pointing out that, that during, during the great society, they had, they started paid to fail social. They really ramped up paid to fail socialism. Whereas yes. before, or in the proper system, people are paid to succeed, paid to be productive. And instead of that, they took people and they paid them to fail to do the good things, right? So, the, in other words, the rewards for having children that the parents cannot take care of in the eyes of the state based upon certain standards are the same exact criteria to qualify the parent for being guilty of endangering the welfare of a child both in New York State and, California, and the state of California, because I looked at those two states when I wrote my first book and pointed this out, it's bizarre. So if they say that the parent is unable to provide adequate food, housing, and health care to the child, therefore the parent is guilty of endangering the welfare of a child in each of those states. Yet, federally, what happens to such a person? They sign them up for Medicaid. They give them uh, Section 8 housing. They give them food stamps. They get rewarded. They're paid to fail. And this system, which, again, the more kids they have, the more, no matter what color their skin is, the more kids they have, the more money the state pays them, and the more... So it's uh, a colorblind system. Yeah, okay. I can understand that. But however, however, Lyndon Johnson, when he was the president at the time, when this was rolled out, sold it. The advertising is it's a, it's a black program, it's a Negro program. And so for, I suspect that that is the reason that you saw a disproportionately large amount of black people sign up for it simply because of advertising. When you had same thing with the COVID monster for, for the people who are following it. When the, when the president and your congressmen are all, and your governors probably in certain states are on TV telling you this is for blacks, blacks need to do it, it's for you. you you've been specially disadvantaged by something that happened 100 years ago to not you, to not your parents. That has nothing to do with you at all in reality, but you are specially disadvantaged. And so you should not work and gain. You should sign up for welfare. More, have more kids. We'll pay you more money. And it was designed as a black program, a Negro program. So that, I mean, it is true. I'm not making it clear. The, the Johnson speech on, on, the, on the, foot, the footstep of Howard University, which is oft re, replayed and which was ripped off by current President Joe Biden as soon as he took office, when all everybody did was criticize him for ripping off speeches, and the first thing he does is rip off that speech, which everyone has been known is untrue for half a century. But anyway, mm. that is a clear example of the United States government encouraging black people to have children. 
Now, if you say they've come off children? of it, they changed it now. Yes, they please. Okay. Yes, please. All right. Yeah, because uh, I'm one of those people that if three people are talking a lot, I, I tend to be quiet unless I really want to jump in. So, Danielle, I saw this yes, in the news a couple weeks ago, and I even made a Broccoli Man cartoon on this. So... For child support in California, Governor Gruesome has a great idea uh, where if the mother of a child is is not black and the father is black and they break up, the father will not be required to pay child support. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, that's that's a tough one for me because I am in the child support system. Little backstory: um, I I have two children. Um, we ended up uh, he, the the my, the children's father ended up leaving the state. We're both white. I do not really like to identify as my skin color because I believe that's right. a slave term. I, I understand that. Uh, but I, I can tell you that um, that's not a system that, that I, I understand. Um, my uh, children's father does not pay much child support, has never paid the right amount of, of child support. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was on the welfare system for, for a minute and um, that's why I'm part of the um, child support system. I can tell you that the child support system is completely corrupt. Um, and, and this it, is not like like child support. You have one kid, and the the state says you need to pay five hundred, and you want to pay four hundred. It's not like that. It's just that he can ghost because yes. he's black and you're not. And uh, well, I just don't I mean, understand the, the thought white, process. Quote unquote white. Fathers are the same way. I, you know, uh, they my... could very well be, but according to uh, that, that's a proposed rule from Governor Gruesome in the state of California. Yeah, but that's that's show. That's all like you know, uh, you know, sh- yeah, that's all theater. Because I'm telling you that I, like I said, I don't like to identify as white, but I'm white. The f- children's father is white, and and you know, for a decade has been treated this precisely the way that you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, it doesn't really have to do with, with skin color. I'm, I'm telling you that my children's father does not pay child support the same way that gruesome is proposing now. And it's been the last decade. This is all smoke and mirrors. So, so I would like to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go, go yeah. ahead real quick. Go ahead. Thanks. So I would just like to point out, I think the obvious, which is this is racially discriminatory legislation, or that's being proposed. It sounds like it's just. But a it's proposal. not. I'm telling you, it's already being enforced. The person is being treated specifically because of their skin color and for no and based on no other criteria. It is a definition so My white of baby daddy, who has not paid the correct child support for a decade, is already you know uh, uh, enjoying those same privileges 
what are you talking about? What, what Dave is saying is that, so, so this sounds like you are just not taking him to task for it and not taking him to court. What Dave is, said, is pointing out is that a law has been proposed that would judge the person based upon the color of their skin and upon no other criteria. Yeah, and I'm telling you that for the last decade, that's already been true. Is that a, what do you mean? You, you, so so there, was a, there was a law beforehand in, there was a law beforehand in California that treated people based on the color of their skin? With I'm not talking about people? law. I'm talking about facts. What is going on? Talking about perception perception yeah. and, and what uh, I'm talking about a law that uh, that they're talking about on the books because they say that too many too many single black fathers are getting in trouble and getting arrested for child support. So therefore, they want to eliminate that to make it fair. So that more black people. Are, are you telling me that there was already a law on the books that says that fathers could be arrested for not paying child support? Yes, they could. Bullshit. Well, I don't know about California, but I know in I'm other talk, We're talking For about California. In New York State, they, can. New York State, they well, could. I know that. In New York State, I know for sure they can. Not only that, they could lose their passports and, and all sorts of things. But what proof said is that if you're a black man and you don't, if you get a divorce, you don't have to pay child support. That's a bunch of crap. It's crap. In California, just, I just, like in Minnesota, just like up in Minneapolis where they said that they will lay off white teachers before they lay off black teachers. That's, that's, that's crap, too. All I'm telling you is that my experience in the state of California, when it comes to child support, they do not enforce. They don't enforce. No matter what skin color you are. I have a white baby daddy. I hate even saying that. But he doesn't pay child support. And guess what? I can't get him arrested. I can't get him to go, you know, to jail. I can't get his passport taken away. I can't get his driver's license taken away. And this is a white person. You said he doesn't live in California, though, too, right? But he did here. Like, for the first six years, he lived in California and didn't pay. What happened now when you tried? Now he lives, I'm sorry, in Texas. What happened when you tried to do something about it? What, what was your experience? What do you mean? I mean can you be more specific? I know that if I went too much not paying child support, support, I'm getting letters in the mail. He owes me so much, you know, hundred, you know, probably seventy thousand dollars in back child support. He, he, there's no mechanism for me without paying a shit ton of money to a lawyer to get this money. I can't do it. So you chose not to pursue it? Is the no, answer. I did. did. I absolutely did. Through the state of California, they will not do anything. So wait, you said you wouldn't pay for a lawyer. So what happens? So you contacted your congressman or something, right? Somebody in the state of Department California? Department of Child Support Services. The same mechanism okay. that any skin color has. And they will okay. not do anything. They will not do anything. They will not take his license. They will not take his passport. They won't do anything. He's white. I'm telling you, because this is smoke and mirrors. This has nothing to do with skin color. They they, they told not. Okay, thank you. 
Do you have any more questions for her about it? I don't have any more questions for her about it. Well, it has Sounds to like start with skin color if they propose in a law that says that black males don't have to pay child support. So that means that some males are paying child support, and I didn't want to exclude black males for political purposes, of course. So somebody's paying child support. Not to me. At the end of the day, when you have a law that is based that, that, that treats a person or evaluates a person because of the variety of skin tone that they have and based on no other criteria, it is a bad law. It is a racist law. It, it should not. It should not be. No matter what it says. I mean, there is no that, – that's ridiculous. It's like, it's like making a law based upon, like, how tall the person is or something else that they can't – it's just irrelevant. It's ridiculous. Um, it's a real disgrace. It's incredibly disgrace. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm saying, again, that it's already happening. It's already been it's happening a, for a decade. What this they is don't... is it's part of the reparations task force. So what, what they're trying to do is offer offer things – as part of reparations. So no, if a black person does something against a white person, then it, it, it will count as reparations. Yeah, that's hilarious because the, the, the those who enslaved the Africans who were sold to the people, to, to Europeans and brought to, the, to America were Northern Africans. It was the Northern Africans enslaving and ca- capturing and enslaving the Southern Africans, keeping most of them, which by the way, the history of the world is people capturing and enslaving those most geographically convenient to them who almost always had the same variety of skin tone. That is, the enslaved almost always had the same variety of skin tone as the slavers uh, because that's just the way the world was. Uh, you didn't travel. You couldn't travel that far in a lifetime, uh, you know, until recently, the last couple of centuries. But anyway, the northern Africans, uh, that is hundreds of years ago, captured and enslaved those Southern Africans who were sold over to the United States. So if you were going to punish a person for a crime that was committed before they were even born by somebody who was not themselves, which is, of course, already absurd, you would have to punish the for something their ancestors did. You would have to punish the ancestors of not just Northern Africans, but those specific Northern Africans captured and enslaved these people and, and sold them off, and, and they ended up in, in, in what became the United States. Now, I wonder, would well, people, would people who, have a, who have a passion for this change their tune when they find out that the, that the variety of skin tone has changed for the defendants of the guilty party? Let me, let me explain to you how that happened. Actually, black Americans today owe reparations to those tribes where their ancestors caused harm, trauma, and mayhem. Because if you were caught in a war and you had caused damage, like many cases at the time it had, now it wasn't all the cases, but it was a lot, you had to pay restitution. If you couldn't pay restitution, you were sold off in order to acquire something to go against what your debt is. And when you were sold off, you were sold to those markets, which was a business at that time. It was a business in bodies. And Africans had been selling off their people about a thousand years before they met anyone with white skin. 
And that's just the way it was. So blacks today who are descendants of those ancestors that were expelled from the country for various reasons, and they owe a debt. See, in their society, they're saying that the sins of the father follows the son. Well, that means that you still owe, you are the sons, you owe for what your father's cause. They don't talk about that. And not only that, blacks here in America had slaves too, especially in the southern states. In New Orleans, 28%, 28% of blacks that was free and 80% of them were slaveholders. You even had blacks along the eastern seaboard that received 50 acres of land for every settler that they sponsored to the country. That settler had to work that off, whatever the cost would happen to be for them to bring them here, but they did receive land for that. How many? I really don't know, but there were some. I also think that there's, that there's a, just really quick, that there's this misconception that, um, that Africans were, were just, you know, so um, helpless that they were able to be collected up by colonists, whether we're talking about Europeans or, or not. But um, I really think that when you look at it in the trade winds coming from Africa to the Caribbean, to the United States, like these, I, I believe that these Africans were uh, very proficient seafaring people and landed here far before his story uh, told us that, that they were here. Like they, his, his story wants us to believe that we gathered up all these people. And I'm not saying that there weren't, you know, uh, African slaves that were brought to America. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that, you know, it, it would be remiss of us to to um, to leave out the fact that Africans were probably most likely because of the trade winds here before, um, um, you know, uh, um, European There was no there was no seaworthy manufacturing industry on any West African country. I'm not talking they about manufacturing. Built. I'm talking about the ancient knowledge of sailing. They didn't they didn't have the ability to do that. They built no, no that Africans that weren't did not have the ability to sail? They didn't have the ability to do that. They didn't have no no ability to build boats like that. They built canoes but not no ships. Matter of fact when they met the Portuguese they leased out from the Portuguese, their ships to haul commodities from, say, like Nigeria all the way down to uh, Senegal. I don't know. And I feel like that's leaving out technology. Like I started out at the beginning of the show, ancient technologies that were there in Africa no. <laughs> before, uh, you know, <laughs> before uh, they America. They don't so even have that thinking? ability today in 2023. Yeah. So, so the, if you look at the map of Africa, uh, if you look at it, the reason that Africa was always left behind, it's kind of like Europe, right? So, so the areas of the westward where you could, you could access it by sea in Europe received the most trade and so therefore lived the best because they had the most commerce and the most opportunity and so forth. And that sort of trickled inward from the sea so that it would go kind of eastward. And that's why you had the Slavic nations, which were sort of left behind. 
uh, because they were like the they would get it last. It's sort of like I don't know molasses running down the tree. So Vikings like couldn't sail. Is that what you're saying? I'm answering you. And so if you look at the if you look at Africa, although it's surrounded by water, it looks like it's, there's tons of places. There's no, it's too smooth. The I'm less of interested Africa in water is, and more interested in trade winds. Yeah, lady, the answer is because there, the, because the coast of Africa was so smooth, there was no place to dock boats, and so that there weren't people doing a lot of sailing to launch or to land ships. So that, number one, people from other areas didn't go there to trade, but number two, people in Africa would have no, no reason for that. Where would they launch their ships? Where would they land? It's just not, it's just not, it's not even though it's surrounded by water, it's not conducive to that kind of a thing. And because they were so backward, particularly as southward as you got away from Europe, the northern Africans were the closest to Europe, so that molasses, again, sometimes ran that way. And by the way, if you look at so from, from Africa to Europe there, the African north coast had a raid, and they actually enslaved in one period of, like, I don't know, 10 years or something, more Europeans than Europeans ever enslaved of Africans. Uh, during the entirety of recorded human history. But anyway, that, that's the reason. Yeah, Africans after, didn't, they, they didn't have a big shit. They, had they white, were not in big Go ahead. Yeah, they had white slaves. Matter of fact, Ghanaians enslaved Portuguese. That was... They came down the so, no, Africa. they're not saying anything. And did they bring them to America? They were. They, were not, they were not building ships. But the, a seaworthy ship couldn't go up a river. It couldn't do it. And it can only get so close to the shore before it would drag. So what they had to do, they had to roar the sh- row the show, shore, and upon entering a stepping foot on the shore, they had to do what's called pay the paw, P-A-W. Otherwise, you had to pay the king. Okay, so are you saying that from northern Africa, um, white people didn't bring slaves over? Like the whole, no, uh, you know, yeah, slave trade of America? The largest, the largest supplies of Africans that were brought here to the Western Hemisphere came from West Africa and a little bit from oh, Central uh, Africa. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't the East. It, it wouldn't make no sense to make that I didn't say, Well, I said North Africa, so that, that is the East and the West, so my apology. But I, I think it would be remiss to, to say that Okay, think of, you know, the Egyptians, they right? They, they, they that was Africa, nobody. right? That was East Africa. Are you saying that they were not? They wouldn't uh, have brought people from North Africa either because the only way you can get to the Atlantic is going through the Straits of uh, Gibraltar. Then you're sure. in the North Sea. The Mediterranean. Those waters in the North Sea is treacherous for seaworthy boats. You're not going to get on the North Sea with no canoes. No, but what I'm saying is that I believe that in my opinion, the fertile crescent of the, you know, of the Bible was in, you know, not Africa, but just right above it. And that, that started history. And I think it would be a little remiss of us to believe that that all of these civilizations that started from there were not seafaring. There are people predating that predating that, so there's human history that's been recorded that predates that period by thousands of years over in Eurasia. Uh, so that was not the beginning of history. But go ahead. Uh, but do you think that they had sailboats in Eurasia? In Eurasia? 
Do you think that they did what? I'm sorry. Sailboats. Do you think they were able to use the wind as a form of energy? They were, no, no. Central Eurasia is landlocked. They were they were land people for thousands of years. Uh, traveling on the sea, particularly in sea like ocean worthy ships, that that was a long way off from human technology. But for thousands of years before the Fertile Crescent. We do have recorded human history in Eurasia, and, it, and if you look on your map, that's, that's really a landlocked area. Those people were, were definitely not doing a lot of sailing. So when do you think sailing started? Using the I wind don't have to vessels over water. The, Portuguese, the Spanish, the Portuguese, the British, that's, uh, should I say the U.K., England. That's where those are the three main people that was controlling the waters at that time. No, at the beginning. And China also. That's right. Chinese also had marauders too, but they didn't come around to the west. They came down the east coast of uh, Africa. Not that I know of. Well, I'm sorry. I thought we switched from. I thought yeah, I thought we switched from from slavery to to sailing. But yeah, uh, the issue of sailing. Yeah, we have Chinese sailing. uh, Well, well before that. Um, you have yeah, you have India, you have you have uh, uh, people. So yeah, Europeans began traveling and having uh, even before uh, uh, Amerigo, Amerigo Vespucci. <laughs> I can't say the guy's name, but before Amerigo came over here, uh, th- there were some some uh, sea uh, fishing sort of expeditions over to what we call Newfoundland now. And hundreds of years before before uh, Amer- Vespucci came here, and but but it didn't really turn amount to much, and so they went from the Nordic areas to what we call Newfoundland. They didn't get much. They went back, and nobody really came back that's been recorded for like several hundreds of years went by. It sort of got forgotten about. And then what we what we know as like the wave, the age of exploration began with this uh with, with the later wave. So there is some there is some evidence of people being here before that, but not much and certainly not a bring you had evidence. I was just talking about sailing. I, I wasn't even really talking about uh uh United States exploration exactly. But I, I think that the trade winds that have been steady and true throughout ancient ancient history could have brought Africans here? Well, they did. They, You know, Columbus never stepped foot on North America. Bingo. And you had Vikings. You had Vikings. You had the Welch. You had the Phoenicians. There's all sorts of evidence about the, the Phoenicians and Boom. the Welch being yes. here in the United States. Matter of fact, that's, they say that's probably what got uh, Meriwether, Lewis and Clark, Lewis Merriweather's probably what got him killed. Your Indians, they were the Mayans. The Mayans became the Creeks that uh, was all over the place in the South. The Louisiana Purchase, that was all part of an ancient tribe that came here well before white-skinned people did. And like I said, I don't like to use skin colors, but there was all kinds of, uh, you know, exploration, settlements here. Nobody knows. Nobody knows who walked upon anything just like people walk upon anything today. Nobody knows. But, you know, your your mesolit stones, like your uh, Stonehenge, you got Stonehenge there in uh, New Hampshire. And if you were to draw a a GPS line between that point on through England, it lines up with Lebanon. 
And the Lebanese were the first uh, Phoenicians who started Canaan. Uh, I love the way you think. I love the way you think because that is exactly how we need to think. Like it's it's all in ancient lines. We all know certain things. We're all able to be divided over certain things. And I would honestly, I would like to just expand um, the, you know, the view, the, the, um, the listeners to the show, expand your audience. You know, maybe things are not exactly as his story would let us believe, you know, who was here first, who knows? Yeah, so the Red Man didn't record their history very well, and, and they didn't even have, like, writing really implemented or things like that. They wrote it in stone. But, but, right, they didn't, like, invent paper or invent anything like that, right? They just sort of scratched it into, like, into a stone or things like that. Uh, so we don't really have very good records. Uh, the Chinese, for, for a long time, for, for hundreds of years, the incoming regime would destroy all the records of the previous regime, which unfortunately for us, you know, thousands of years later, I mean, we don't, we don't have that evidence. So record keeping is always the, the key to, to having history. Yeah. Um, and finding evidence, right? Finding physical we are evidence. A around yeah, it. we are a species with amnesia. I tell you another Could group that was here was the uh, Nice Templars. Because there's evidence of what's called a Lorraine cross scribed in walls and rivets and so forth. Of course, you got to dig them up. But look at the settlement called Roanoke that was in Virginia. Nobody knows whatever happened to them people. I don't know about them either. Uh, I don't know. But, yeah, you talk about the history of the country. People don't know anything about it. People don't realize this this country was held together by Band-Aids and dental floss for quite a while. I mean, this thing was barely kept together. Uh, they didn't even ratify the Constitution until 1788. They didn't get around to inaugurating the first president until 1793. Everyone knows the year 1776. But, I mean, they didn't even get around to, to inaugurating the first president until 1793. Which, by the way, they abolished, they made it a federal crime, a capital offense, to import a new slave to this country in 1790. They, uh, that's before they even got around to electing the first president. They made it illegal to, under penalty of death to bring a new slave here. And at least well, one that, was 18, was that was 1808. But, you know, the founders of the Constitution, they was hunted down and some of them was tortured, killed by England. Read that history. They was hunted down like wild animals and murdered, tortured, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we about out of time. Good yeah, I want to encourage people to check out pauldayton.us if you want to learn more about the history of the United States. And this is my website. So, uh, Bianchi, uh, Danielle has a show on Sundays, 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific time, if you want to call in to Seeds of Change. Oh, I'd love to read. I'd love to check. Right you guys can say so, you know, Please support the other shows on the network. It's not just the proof negative show here. But until Monday, hold on to the handrail. Keep hope alive. Remember, only you can prevent more fire. I am proof negative. I am proof.
With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.